Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of September 28, 2023, including the CMA seems to finally let up on Microsoft's Activision purchase just as the FTC gets back up for another fight. Xbox vows to bring exclusive AAA Japanese titles to their authentically American gaming platform. Payday 3's launch hasn't quite paid off, and more. On this day in Xbox history, in the year 2006, 17 years ago, Disney Interactive Studios, formerly known as Buena Vista Games, acquires Climax Racing Studio, which later changed their name to BlackRock Studio, not to be confused with BlackRock, one of the few corporations destroying everything we know. BlackRock Studio, probably best known in the Xbox community for the last game they made, the only game they made as a Disney-owned studio, and the last game they ever made before they were shut down which was Split Second, released in 2010 for the Xbox 360. Uh, If you didn't play it, don't let Disney confuse you. If you've never seen or played this game, this game was a damn good racing game. It has nothing to do with Disney. It's not like modern Disney where they can't make a single damn thing without shoving some princess or Star Wars character into the freaking game theme park attraction or whatever have you. This was a authentically wonderful arcade style racing game that was super badass its whole like cool gimmick or or angle was that it was like um you're on the set of like an action show and like so every race had to have like crazy like stunt pieces and explosions and jumps and stunts and things like that and so like it was just like awesome arcade racing but then there'd always be action set pieces in every race as well so that every track was really unique and cool split second was actually such a fun game I think there was one point where it was actually games with gold title a couple years back. Um, that's actually how I finally played it. But yeah, I mean, if you haven't played Split Second and you are a racing fan, if you love fun arcade style racing um, like Forza Horizon or Burnout or Need for Speed or, you know, games like that, I don't sleep on Split Second. It's a damn good game. But yeah, that game, uh, the studio was shut down a year after they released the game while they were in the early stages of making a sequel to Split Second. And of course, you know, Disney shut them down because Disney was Disney's always been god awful in the video game space. They never want to fully commit. Everything is a uh, oh we made money but not enough money. They they back out of everything they jump into. They made Disney Infinity. It was super successful. And then they went ahead and just shut down all their gaming, fired all their studios, pulled out of publishing altogether. They, they're the worst. Disney when it comes to gaming, Disney's the fucking worst. But shout out to BlackRock Studio into uh, Split Second. That game freaking rocks and. Uh, they're a much more storied team uh, back in their old Climax Racing studio days. I know they worked on a lot of games on like Dreamcast and back in the earlier days. So they have a long history in gaming, but Split Second is for sure the game they made that I know them best for and highly, highly recommend to fans of you know, Project Gotham Racing, Need for Speed, those kinds of games. Split Second is definitely worth checking out. So shout out to uh, BlackRock Studio and may you rest in peace, Disney. Fuck you for being bad at video game publishing and developing. All right, moving forward, guys, welcome to episode 
226 of the Xbox On podcast, the podcast where I constantly am brutally honest and cruel towards the corporations I love, like Microsoft and Disney, you know, these innocent little companies that are just trying to just just trying to stay afloat, just trying to make a buck, you know, and live to see another day. And uh, I'm very excited to be speaking with you all this week because uh, there it's a calm week. I feel like it's been a minute since we've had one of these. It's chill. There's no leaks. We didn't get freaking naughty pictures of Phil Spencer at the holiday 2013 Christmas party. We don't have any freaking design elements for the 2047 Xbox console. None of that going on here. No E3. No Halo reboots. Nothing. It's just an easy, calm week. For us to just sit and chat about Xbox, we talk a little Starfield, we can talk a little bit about the Activision deal because we got some updates there, talk a little bit about Payday 3 and how none of us can freaking play it, but I'm excited to just have a normal week. All right, so let's start out this week talking about our notable game releases of the week. We don't have any like actual game release game releases, although technically that new FIFA EA Sports FC game comes out this week, although last week we acknowledged it because the Deluxe Edition was out if you pre-ordered the, the expensive version, but I guess the regular version's out this week. Seeing some interesting mixed uh, opinions on that, but also we're not going to get into that because I'm sorry, I just don't... you got to be genuine. I, I don't care about soccer games. Um, sorry, football for our European audience. All right, let's talk about Cyberpunk 2077. It's getting its big expansion. It's got its Brand new 2.0 overhaul, so the game's been completely reworked, and the Phantom Liberty uh, expansion is now out. People are saying nothing but really, really great things about this new content and the overhauls to the game. Seems like if you haven't played Cyberpunk now, is definitely the time to get on board, Ugh, dude. A- after playing Starfield, I feel so conflicted because I want to go to Star, I want to go to Cyberpunk, but I'm also just like, I think I need to just take this momentum forward and just finally play the Mass Effect trilogy. But I know that's not going to happen because it's too much of a time sink and. I don't know. It's it's hard to, it's hard to say, but Cyberpunk looking good. Phantom Liberty apparently it's awesome. That's out this week. Also out this week, the day this podcast goes live, Sonic Frontiers: The Final Horizon. This is the free story DLC that comes out this Thursday, the twenty eighth. It's available on Xbox platforms and PC. And oh my god, I'm gonna cut my wrist if Sonic if Sonic doesn't if Sonic isn't able to outrun Doctor Eggman and his nefarious plans. I, I I just can't wait to see what goes on in this uh, in this next installment of the Sonic. Frontiers DLC uh, content release, although I, I am genuinely quite excited for this. It's weird because they haven't said anything about it. We, we've known about this DLC since the, when the game came out a year ago. We just knew it was going to be free story DLC a year later, and here we are. It's coming out. Still, they showed a little teaser trailer for it like a month ago, but it was all cinematic. They haven't showed any gameplay. We don't really know what to expect from the story DLC. I think there's supposed to be new playable characters, but like, I don't know, like, what what is this? Is this, like, a 30-minute, like, here's a new little stage to play around in? Or is this, like, a, is this like a mini campaign? Like, what, what, what are we looking forward to here, Sonic? What, what, what new frontiers are we exploring? And that's what I want to know, and that is what I plan to find out this... Uh, I aim to find that out this weekend, so I'm very much looking forward to getting into that. And then I guess it's also worth mentioning that... Um, there's something else I want to mention about new game releases. Oh, yeah. X-Defiant, while it's missing its September release date that I was originally planning to hit, they are going to do an open, open, not really beta, but, you know, like open play session this week. Um, so you can give that a try if you're just anxiously waiting something like uh, Call of Duty adjacent to play. So that's that's imminently available. And then, of course, the game itself will be out probably sometime in October, so we'll have to wait probably more than a few weeks to get your hands on the proper X-Defiant release, but yep, 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 yep. Okay, 
Let's move right on into our mildly amusing stories or updates, stories to kind of ease us into the podcast, starting with some good news for weebs out there. You guys, if you've been wondering, why did X, uh, why did Square Enix's Octopath Traveler 1 come to Xbox, not come to PlayStation, and then a few years later they made an Octopath Traveler 2 that skipped Xbox but went to PlayStation? Well, fret not, because Octopath Traveler 2 is officially coming to Xbox and PC, uh, early in 2024, Square Enix announced and confirmed during Xbox's Tokyo Game Show broadcast last Thursday. Now, I didn't watch the broadcast because Tokyo Game Show is almost never worth your time, but here are the notable announcements. We got Octopath Traveler 2 making its way to Xbox for the first time. That was weird that that game didn't come to Xbox despite the first one being like the rare, rare, rare example of a Japanese game having overt Xbox support. So this just seems, you know, it seems... Uh, it seems overdue to to make this happen, um, but that being said, you know, ho- hopefully, we this is you know, a continuation of Square Enix supporting Xbox rather than ghosting them at every turn or taking Sony's money to to fuck them over. Because boy, oh boy, we sure would like to get some Final Fantasy over here, Square Enix, please and thank you. Um, also, more importantly, because Sega's cooler than Square Enix X symbols with my hands, uh, Sega's Like a Dragon Gaiden, the man who erased his name, and Like a Dragon Ishin are coming to Game Pass, announced during the Tokyo Game Show broadcast last week. Masayoshi Yokoyama, director of Ryu Ga Godoku Studio, confirmed the news during Xbox's Tokyo Game Show uh, blah, blah, blah. broadcast. Like a Dragon Gaiden will be released on November 9, 2023 for the Xbox Series S, X, Xbox One, and PC. It will be available at launch for Game Pass on both console and PC. That's a huge deal. Also, Like a Dragon Ishin, which will release, which released earlier this year, will hit Game Pass for consoles and PC later this year as well. I would love to play that that game so bad. The problem is, even though I know it's not a direct continuation of the uh, original six Yakuza games, I ju- I just feel like I can't freaking play this game. Because you got to do all the other things first. So, I mean, it's, it's so stressful. This is such a stressful series. If they would just make one of these games every, like, three or four years instead of, like, two of them every year, I, I could catch up on them. I would enjoy them. I'd be happy. We'd be talking about it. But instead, I'm just over here. I, I think I've played... What have I done? I've done Yakuza 0, 1, 2, and 3. I'm on Yakuza 4. I really need to get back. To, maybe that's the series I need to get back to sooner rather than later. It's just the rest of these series kind of, you know, we're all kind of spoken for, right? I mean, we're all playing Starfield. If you got a PlayStation, you're probably also looking forward to Spider-Man. We got Payday 3 whenever that decides to work. Uh, we got, you know, Modern Warfare 3 comes out this year. We got Alan Wake 2. We got Mario Wonder, Sonic Superstars. We got so many games still to come out this year while we've already had a million games that have come out in the past few months. It's just... I don't know, man. I I, I want to make time for you like a dragon. I want to I want to get caught up. I want to finish those other Yakuza games. But man, oh man, you're making it so freaking hard. I don't know how. I don't know like what what. This is what you do when you have a society of people that eat like freaking they eat like fresh fish and seaweed. It's like their brains are functioning on another level. They have higher capacity. They can put out more work than us. They can think faster. They can output information faster. They are better and superior to us Westerners in every single imaginative way, which is why they're able to pump out these fucking games like twice a year. Because the crazy thing is, if you've ever played a Yakuza game, you might think to yourself, this must be like junk food Japanese role-playing, like open-world role-playing games, because like... This shit comes out so fast at such a steady clip that it's got to be like it's got to be like Japanese like video game fodder. There's no way this stuff is good, but then you play one of these games and it's like, god damn it, they're good games. Like the story is always on point, the writing, the acting, everything's on point. And yeah, the gameplay 
sure, every sequel basically just feels like more of the last game. It doesn't ever feel like, oh, this is like next-gen Yakuza or like a dragon, sure. But every game still does feel like an excellent adventure, like absolute must-play. Like So far, I've played four of these games. I wouldn't tell you to skip out on a single one of them. They've all been great. So, I don't know, man. They all It's hard to find the time. I wish I could live in a world where I would come to work and I'd be like, boss, I'm ready to I'm ready to write that expense report, which uh, you asked me to do, even though in my real job I don't write expense reports. And my boss would say, no, Jesse, you stupid idiot. I need you to sit down at your desk today, take this Xbox controller, and play uh, Like a Dragon, the man who erased his name, and Like a Dragon Ishin, uh, now available on Xbox Game Pass for both console and PC. And I would say, gee whiz, thank you, boss. Is there is there a catch? Is there something I'm missing here? And he would say, son, let's just put it this way. You do you do good helping this man who erased his name, keep his name erased. And I will get I, I will see to it that your paycheck is padded nice and tightly. Uh, it'll be padded like a dragon. And I will say, thank you, boss. And he will bow to me very deeply, which in Japanese is a way of showing great respect. And I will not bow because, quite honestly, I have back pain at way too young of an age and I don't want to put out my back. So I will just be like, gee whiz cool and then maybe there'd be some like freaking pizza pockets in the in the fridge at work i don't know maybe who knows so that's how that would go and then um yeah so some stuff happened in tokyo game show now let's move on talk about unity a little bit because we've been talking about this unity ballad a little bit i skipped to the first week we talked about it a little bit last week i still don't have a whole lot to say about this it just looks like it's pretty pretty obvious what's happened here is unity is fucked up hardcore and this week they come back to say we're sorry. It's like that, uh, like that South Park episode where they got like the BP oil spill, and all the uh, executive CEOs know they can do whatever the fuck they want as long as they do the like "we're sorry" thing. They can get away with murder. And so this is Unity's version of that, like uh, that little like Sarah McLaughlin arms of an angel kind of video, and they're you know holding a baby or seagull covered in oil, and they're going "we're sorry." So Unity comes out this week and says that um, they're walking back some of the controversial monetization plans for their popular gaming engine. Starting in January 2024, the proposed Unity runtime fee that was announced the other week, would, uh, which would apply to games that meet a minimum revenue threshold, have passed a minimum lifetime install count. Uh, following a huge backlash of that, Unity has issued an apology and said that they plan to make changes. Oh, what is happening with my... There we go. Plan to make changes to the policy in which they would communicate in the coming days. So they haven't really said what those changes have been or why they're sorry. They're just basically saying, hold on a little longer. We're going to detail those changes. And I think that's supposed to be at the end of this week. So we won't be able to talk about it until next week. But, yep, they, they confirmed that they're no longer going to charge. At the very least, they confirmed they're no longer going to charge a per-install fee for those using Unity Personal or Plus plans. And that the new runtime fee will only apply to Unity Pro and Unity Enterprise which basically means the, the top dogs of the industry. So it can't really hurt the small-time devs. It's going to more hurt the big publishers who make big AAA-type games using Unity is how that kind of reads. But still, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like I, I, I still just don't have much to say this because it's, it's like, yeah, what do you want to say about it? Unity fucked up. This looks like another example of one of those things where it's like some, some boardroom of suits got together and said, okay, we need to make this thing more profitable. We need to find a new uh, revenue stream. What do we do? And they looked for one of the slimiest, greediest ways to get money without really understanding their product, how their customers use the product, why people like it in the first place. And they kind of just left the bad taste in everyone's mouth and doing what they did, where they could have just literally copied what, like, I don't know, like what Epic Games has done forever with uh, Unreal Engine and just been like, okay, we're going to charge a fucking, you know, cut from from your game's profits. You know, like you 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 give us one or two percent of your revenue from the game's performance. Like, 
done deal, right? You know, just one time your game makes whatever. After the first 30 days, we take a 1% or 2% cut. We move on, bada bing, bada boom. If your game doesn't sell X amount of copies, it's not beholden to even giving us a revenue cut at all. I mean, is, is it not that simple? Is it really not? It's really not that simple. Like, I think about, like, an independent game, develop, uh, game developer that maybe makes, like, a moderately successful indie game that put that gets put on, like, Switch and Steam, right? Maybe they sell 10,000 copies, right? And if you're Unity, you go, okay, you only sold 10,000 copies, so we're not going to take a cut. Good for you. Keep growing. Keep learning. Keep making games. Hope to see you in the in the big leagues someday, kid. You know, and then and then freaking I don't know who does Unity. Roblox does a whole Unity game, and Roblox makes eight point six trillion dollars, and all the little kids are all, all around the world are playing Roblox on their Xbox and on their mom's iPhone and all the things, and they make all this money. And then Unity goes to Roblox and says, "Wow, looks like you made eight point six trillion dollars in revenue this year. You owe us two percent of everything you made." And Roblox goes, "Okay, here's all your money. Doesn't matter to us." We're we're just swimming in it. We're just swimming in all the money from all the little kids that knows how to get into mommy and daddy's wallets and steal 16 digits of fun. So I, I don't know why this is like, why why am I some stupid ass idiot who's only half heartedly following this story because he just doesn't give a shit enough and able to just be like, uh, hey Unity, I'm armchair fixing your problem for you. This is what you should have done. I'm Captain Hindsight over here, and I'm just here to say, Unity, you're stupid, you dumb. And I mean, it's this is this is bad because even if they do reverse course and do all the right things and say all the right things and make all the right choices going forward, damage has been done, and Unity has just gone from like the number one place to go learn how to develop games if you are a just a random ass person hoping to one day gain get into game development to like the last place anyone wants to be because now you have a bad reputation, everyone hates you, and no and no one trusts you going forward. Maybe you made good on on your mistakes here, but like. I don't know, like, what, what's to stop you from making a dumbass move in five years, ten years, you know? And game development takes a long time. If you tell someone who's, like, like four years into their five-year development cycle, hey, by the way, starting January, we're going we're gonna to fucking, like, rob you for every time someone downloads your game, you're going to be like, well, shit, what can I do now? I can't, I can't switch engines. I'm like... I've spent I've spent the past four years of my life making this game where you where you play as a little bird that jumps around on spikes and gets more powerful every time you fall in a pit of spikes. Like I, I I'm too far down the development rabbit hole. What am I gonna do? Make a new game? No, and then you're fucked. So well look at that. This is why I didn't want to talk about this because I just feel like it's just so maybe I'm oversimplifying the situation. I just feel like it's just so overtly stupid what they did and it's so obvious what they could have done because your competition's already had your cut out your work cut out for you. It's just just do the thing they're doing. Just take a cut. Just take a percentage cut on games that that hit a certain threshold of sold copies, and make your own Fortnite. Because that's how Epic Games makes money. So make a Fortnite. Shut up, uni nerds. All right, let's talk about video game strikes. Ooh, we're heated. We're heated today, baby. All right. So good news. Members of SAG-AFTRA, the labor union for American actors, have voted overwhelmingly in favor of potential video game strike action. Union members voted 98.32% in favor of strike author authorization regarding an interactive media agreement which covers members' work on video games. While this doesn't necessarily mean the strike is going to be called yet, it does mean that SAG-AFTRA does, uh, doesn't get terms in, if it doesn't get its terms and conditions accepted while negotiations while negotiating in the interactive media agreement it can still call a strike away knowing the members already support the decision 
So far, negotiations have failed due to what SAG-AFTRA calls unacceptable terms on some of the issues most critical to members, including wages to keep up with inflation, protections around exploitative, ex exploitative uses of artificial intelligence, and basic safety precautions. There have been five rounds of negotiations so far with the next one set to take place September 26th to the 28th. So that means basically by the time this podcast goes up, we'll probably hear an update, which also worth noting, it seems like with the Hollywood uh, strikes with SAG-AFTRA and everything that with the writer strikes, it seems like they're reaching some sort of agreement that we're about to learn a little bit more about at the end of this week. So it is possible that that somehow affects this and that, you know, the things kind of end up all one and the same and, and, and some kind of agreement is reached. So this could be a very outdated story um, in just a matter of hours. Hopefully it is in, in the sense that the demands have been met and these people are given what they need. Because, again, this is it's like the unity thing. It's like I'm, I just have so little to say about this because it's just it's so obvious what we're looking at. Right. It's like AI shouldn't be taking over creatives jobs. People should be paid accordingly. I mean, if inflation is shooting up like crazy. You got to pay your fucking people more, you know, like it's just fucking obvious. And I don't know. It's like every I feel like everyone's minds a little warped when they think about like people, people who don't consider why this stuff is important and why these people need protection. It's like because I think about people, I, I think that people think like, oh, there's like there's like a Hollywood strike. These people are demanding more money and they just think about fucking I don't know who's a famous actor. They think about Arnold Schwarzenegger. Just being like, ah, I was I was governor and I made Terminator movies and I never had to work a day in my life. And they just think, wow, that rich entitled asshole. He just thinks he's he just thinks he's all that in a bag of chips. Well, not only would I also defend someone's ability to just make as much money for themselves as humanly possible, especially when you're an individual who can only get so wealthy as like an actor versus I don't know, like the CEO of Amazon. It's like, who gives a shit about that? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the overwhelming majority of people that work in these industries. Whether we're talking about the writers in Hollywood or we're talking about developers in the games industry where, you know, not everyone is, is freaking, I don't know who, who's someone people know. Not everyone's a, a freaking Todd Howard or something. You know, most people that work in the games industry, uh, they don't, they don't have a, they don't have a big name for themselves. They don't have a huge, a huge following and, and just this obnoxious amount of, of respect and, and attention given to them. They're not all a bunch of freaking Hideo Kojima's making Metal Gear Solid. The majority of people who work in games, who work in QA, who do writing, um, who do level design and art assets and things like that. These are people who are ranging in pay from like minuscule to decent, but still probably not enough for what you're doing and what you're worth. So it's just, I don't know, man, like there's enough money out there. It's just, it's, it's, it's pretty simple. It's like, let's just put it simply. There is enough money out there. Just look around. Look at all the things that money gets drawn to. Look at all the ways we waste money. And that's an American thing and abroad. Just look around the globe and look at where the money's moving, whose hands it's in. There is enough money. If anyone ever tries to tell you that we can't afford that or things are too expensive or where's the money going to come from or who's going to pay for that, just know that that person is either ignorant or entirely brainwashed by their government and their media. Because the fact of the matter is, there's money for everything. And for, for any kind of industry to just be like, yeah, we can't afford to pay our interns and our writers a livable fucking wage because the average price of rent in Hollywood is like, I don't know, fucking five, six grand a month. And we're only gonna will we're only willing to pay these people like seventy thousand dollars a year. I mean, it's like, bro, like you got I I just don't know what to say, man. <laughs> You know, you can't go to the grocery store and buy freaking chicken for less than like a. I mean, what, what, what was the thing? What was the thing? I went. I went to the freaking uh, grocery store to buy to buy tortilla chips. 
And uh, it's like at Publix, a bag of tortilla chips was like almost $7 for like Tostinos. It was like borderline seven bucks for a fucking bag of tortilla chips. Target, the cheapest bag of tortilla chips, like their knockoff brand. It was like almost five fucking dollars. Shout out to Aldi. Aldi, like like two fifty. But I'm just I'm just thinking like we live in a fucking world where people are expected to drop like six, seven dollars for a bag of tortilla chips. But then like, I don't know, like we're going to sit here and fucking pause the world. So so assholes like Bob Iger can can bitch and moan about whether or not like writers deserve to be paid enough to live in their fucking meager apartments. I don't know. It's just it's just stupid. So uh, pay your people more. Keep AI out of the creative space, or at least at least away from dominating it. I don't know. AI is, is cool, and I like to see it implemented in unique and interesting ways. But I don't want to see it be a replacement for humanity because that's that's uh, that's that's creepy. That's sad. Listen, I'm an English major. I I, I, ha- I have to have this opinion. I'm an English major. Okay, like what what am I gonna do? Henry David Thoreau. What if what if what if Henry David Thoreau, but AI. All right, let's move on. I'm already I'm already pissing off half the people here. Capcom, let's talk about them. They're Japanese, which means they have bullet trains and uh, uh, women women issues that that go unaddressed. Uh, Capcom is not interested in acquiring any new studios. More importantly, nor is it interested in being acquired itself, according to the COO. In an interview with Bloomberg this week. Capcom COO uh, Haruhiro Sujimoto uh, was asked the question what the company's stance was when it comes to mergers and acquisitions, to which he says, quote, I think that there have been many merger and acquisition talks in the games industry. Uh, there was once a time where we were a target, but rather than acquiring an outside company, we prefer organic growth. It is important to train and develop human resources in-house in order to carry out growth strategies. I also believe that we, uh, we can utilize external partners, but we have no intentions of acquiring companies. Companies. Sujimoto was then asked with the company, uh, what would happen if the company such as Microsoft was to approach Capcom with the aim of potentially acquiring them to which he said, I would gracefully decline that offer because I believe it would be better if we were equal partners. Well, that is just such a wonderful thing to hear. Well, that, that's just validation for, I guess, everything I freaking said about the Japanese games industry versus the, the Western games industry, where over there, it's a lot more about like, Let's build a really great brand and ecosystem and company and culture and have our own unique flair and be our own unique self and create our thing and we can make lots of money doing it and we can just be content to be creative, be making cool shit for the world to enjoy and be making a lot of money while doing it. Whereas Americans are like, all right, let's make something really cool. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's make money. And then let's get really pissed that we're making a shit ton of money, but it's not all the money. And then let's buy this company. Then let's buy this company. Then let's merge with this company. We'll divest this asset from this company so we can, uh, you know, get through regulators to to uh, uh, to buy this company. And then once we all merge, we'll be Time Warner, Disney, Comcast, NBC, Fox. And then once we do that, we buy Dunkin' Donuts. So we can do that like Simpsons Dunkin' Donuts crossover we always wanted to do. And that's when you'll get three free months of Apple TV Plus if you subscribe with the T-Mobile Magenta Max plan. But the great thing is it has T-Mobile Tuesdays, which is going to get you 25% off at any participating Hungry Howie's pizza chain. Now you're thinking to yourself, Hungry Howie's pizza chain, what does that got to do with gaming? I'm glad you fucking asked because now that we own Activision, when you go to participating Hungry Howie's, you're going to get exclusive Call of Duty skins that you can't get at other participating pizza chains. I'm talking about Pizza Hut. I'm talking about Domino's. I'm talking about Papa John's. That is until we acquire them, of course. It's a do or die thing. They will either be our direct competitors or we will acquire them. We will... We will... (laughs) 
We will conquer them in financial combat. And, and, and so on and so forth. And you get the fucking idea. I mean, it's just... I don't know. There's something like so... I don't give a shit about Capcom for the most part. Like, let's be honest. Like, I like... I don't know. What does Capcom do? I like Resident Evil. I, 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 I've had a lot of exposure to Resident Evil my whole life. I grew up around brothers who really loved this franchise. I never played a lot of Resident Evil. I came to it late. I've only played Resident Evil in the past five or so years of my life. I like Resident Evil. It's cool. It's fun. It's a staple in the games industry. It's respectable. Cool, right? I like Monster Hunter. I used to play a lot of Monster Hunter back on the 3DS and the Wii U back in the day. I kind of played a little bit on and off these days. I'm not so much into it, but I, I l listen, I like Capcom. They're cool. They're not all the way up there. They don't have Halo. They don't have Sonic. They don't have the, sh the shit that makes me tingly inside, but I like Capcom. They're a staple of the industry. They're a longtime player. They make cool games. They have their place in the, in, in the whole conversation, and I like them. I want to see them around. I want to see them continue to do what they do and be who they are. But, like, I don't know, man. Like, isn't that just so cool to hear them be like, as someone who's not necessarily, like, head over heels for all the games they're making and everything, like, isn't it just so cool to, I don't know, look at Capcom and just be like, that's awesome. They just, they just unashamed and unafraid to just be who they are, and that's enough for them, you know? Maybe they can partner with another company if the project or the timing is right for, for whatever specific reason, and then we all, we all move on. But, you know, you got, like, fucking Xbox talking about potentially... Hypo hypothesizing about buying Nintendo. It's like, what the... You have no business buying Nintendo. Why does Delta Airlines need to acquire Sleep Mattress? You know, it's like, what what the... Where's, where's the fucking... Where's the correlation? Oh, well, maybe you could put the mattresses in the planes and you have a really comfortable flight. I don't know. I'm not here to judge. But it's like, come on, man. Just apples and oranges... And while I'm not a fan for segregation of people, I am a fan for segregation of fruits. So let's keep the apples and the oranges on different trees. That's all I'm saying. God bless America. All right, let's move on. Tomb Raider studio Crystal Dynamics has confirmed a round of layoffs. I promise there is some positive news in this in this podcast. It's just all I get. I guess I put all the negative stuff at the top so we can get it all, all out of the way and then save the fucking creme of the, you know, the steak and potatoes for later. So Crystal Dynamics has become the latest studio owned by Embracer Group to be hit with layoffs. In a message posted on Wednesday, the Tomb Raider and Perfect Dark developers said that it's laid off uh, 10 employees as part of their internal restructuring efforts. Quote, Crystal Dynamics has made the difficult decision to part ways with nine brand slash marketing and one IT employee today due to internal restructuring to align with the studio, our, our studio with the current business needs. We are working directly with those affected to support them. If you have applied, or sorry, if you have applicable positions open at your studios uh, across brand direction, creative service, community IT, please uh, pass them along to at email address and we will ensure the information, blah, blah, blah. So they're basically saying, hey, will you take these people off our hands? Uh, Embracer, which was which acquired Crystal Dynamics from Square Enix last year, uh, in June said in June that it was implementing a restructuring program, which would see some game studios close and some projects canceled. The announcement followed what the company said it was um, that it was unexpected collapse of two billion dollars uh, in 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 funds from what was later reported to be the Saudi government-funded Savvy Games Group. Uh, at the time, Crystal Dynamics said that its current project wouldn't be impacted by the events at Embracer, but lo and behold, here we fucking are. They said at the time, we want to reassure fans that there's no impact continuing our efforts with the initiative on Perfect Dark and our next Tomb Raider game developed in collaboration with Amazon Games, but here we are, 10 people just lost their jobs. Which, I want to keep this in, in check because it's like, you're in the middle of, of having your, your whole team work on Work with the initiative on Perfect Dark or work on your new Tomb Raider game. So, like, you're about as full as 
you could hope a game developer would be, right? I mean, that's 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 kind of the dream is to have two at least two projects going at once. So like you would think you're in an all hands on deck kind of kind of place. And I know to a lot of people it's like, oh well, you know, they're a big team. To only lose ten people isn't that big a deal. It's like, listen, man, if you have to do layoffs, something's wrong. Especially if you have to be as minuscule as being like, hmm, we have to comb through the entire employee directory and, and find 10 people to, to break off the list. That means they're really scrutinizing all these all these companies, trying to figure out who can stay and who, who has to go. Because, I mean, it's kind of, I don't know, the difference of laying off 10 people versus laying off zero people, is, is to me, it, it insinuates a sign of desperation. Like, that's not, yeah, it's not good shit. In fact... Mr. Mike Clark wrote in about it and says, damn, just saw Embracer laid off some Crystal Dynamics employees. They might need to phone a friend. Yeah, I mean, that's where I think maybe maybe the initiative and Microsoft come into play. I mean, may, maybe you hire some of those guys to the initiative if these are people working on maybe um, maybe on, um, on Perfect Dark. You know, we just heard Microsoft or Phil Spencer in a leaked email saying how he doesn't believe they've ever closed down a studio due to P&L, which is... Uh, which profits and losses. So clearly, it doesn't matter to Xbox. You know, the the, the livelihood of a game studio doesn't doesn't really depend or or, or um, rest on whether or not the livelihood of the studios doesn't really rest on whether or not they're making buku bucks or just or just surviving. It seems like it's always a creative thing, according to Phil. Um, so I don't know. Maybe maybe they can find a home within the initiative. Hopefully, um, give these guys a, a way to survive. That'd be nice. But no, I mean, I think between between Gearbox and Crystal Dynamics, I mean, they, they've already, you know, shutting down. In between shutting down Volition with Saints Row, I mean, like, they've, they've kind of hit all their biggest players already. And, you know, I mean, maybe Vigil Games or something like that. But, like, they've they've kind of hit all their, their heavy hitters already with, with delays and studio closures and things like that. So it's like, I mean, now, now I think the next step is probably when they start straight up selling off or shutting down full-fledged smaller lesser known studios and so em- embrace yourself no pun intended brace yourself so I don't, I don't know man it's it's sad stuff uh, obviously you hope the affected people are are able to find a, something better after this but yeah i mean come on the uh, the initiative why don't you take some initiative gobble some of these guys up i mean that's probably the best case scenario for some of them or maybe amazon gobbles some of these guys up since both the projects that crystal dynamics are working on are efforts involved with other with other companies so who knows all right that's it for all of our opening depressing sad stories from there we will uh bring some levity talk about the games we've been playing this week and then move on into the news this week which i think is a lot more uplifting and positive so i promise you if you feel like wow it's been a little negative around here just i don't control the news but i try to structure the way it's delivered to you in in a way that we can end on a high note that you'll leave this podcast this week going wow gee whiz what a what an exciting time to be a gamer that's why we talk about the layoffs and the corporate uh, scrutiny up front so we can talk about payday three on the back end all right so let's talk about the games we've been playing this week um but you know how it goes before we get into the news i'm gonna tell you about the games i'm playing but before i tell you about the games i'm playing i gotta tell you about what i've been eating so i do got something good to talk to you about sorry i keep pausing here because my my mouse is like shit in the bed here i keep i keep moving in it's like lagging dude it's lagging my my mouse is at 30 fps what is this the xbox series s of computer mice um okay um anyway before i can tell you about games i've been playing this week i gotta tell you all about what i've been eating and boy oh boy am i excited to talk to you about this one because it's been a long time It's, it's been in fact it's been too damn long so i'm here to talk to you all about denny's an american institution and for all you british people out there who goofing on me about the taco bell you ain't, you ain't seen nothing yet. In fact, I gotta actually look this up. 
I don't know if Denny's exists in other countries. I assume it does just because it seems like all these chains at least make their way to like Canada and the UK, generally speaking. So let's let's see. Is Denny's a thing in other in other countries about us? What are you what are we doing here? Oh, look. All right, here we go. It's kind of hard to find this. I, they don't, they're not really advertising all the nations they're operating in. But here we go. Here's here's something. As of 2022, there were nearly 1500 franchise and licensed Denny's restaurants worldwide. As of, uh, let's see, I don't give a shit about that. Okay, here we go. 1,593 uh, 1, are located in the U.S., including Puerto Rico and Guam. Uh, 60 in Canada, 5 in Mexico, 3 in Costa Rica, 2 in Honduras, 2 in El Salvador. Uh, oh, there we go. 2 in the U.K., 7 in New Zealand. There we fucking go. That's what I'm talking about. So some of you Brits might even know what Denny's is. All, all, all two locations, probably so famous, probably probably so freaking famous you know all about it new zealand i'm, I'm assuming maybe maybe they got some in australia as well i don't know but anyway without further delay denny's an american institution a, a shitty chain diner that hasn't been clean and i don't know like welcoming to families in maybe 40 50 years i don't know never surely never in my lifetime has denny's been like a clean and acceptable place denny's is like as far as like american chain diners go i feel like denny's is a is a is a very visibly large step down from IHOP in terms of its uh just in terms of its like image and cleanliness. Like if you're watching a, a commercial for Denny's and a commercial for IHOP, you might think that you might think that like they're both one and the same, but Denny's is definitely more of a Walmart, whereas IHOP is more of a Target. Like you go into an IHOP and don't get me wrong, I've been to IHOPs that are like a little dirty and definitely need to be like burned to the ground and rebuilt perhaps but like generally speaking your ihop is a little more clean has a little more of a fresh look to it um you go in there the lighting's not so sad maybe you even see like a family or two enjoying a brunch together or something of that sort whereas you go to a denny's and it's almost a, like even if you go to a denny's at two in the afternoon it's still gonna look like it's two in the morning instead and everyone's gonna be like hungover or drunk so like that's just kind of the denny's way is that's like it's just like sad ihop but I say that knowing full well that I, I at least I think I'm not sh I'm not certain, but I I think I've always preferred Denny's more. The problem is, you know, places I've always lived throughout my life, IHOP has always been more prevalent than Denny's, so there's never been really much of an opportunity to cross compare. It does seem like Denny's is usually in more like rural rural or like more economically depressed areas, whereas IHOP is just kind of like everywhere. You know, I, you can find IHOP in the suburbs, in the city, wherever you go, there's an IHOP. But Denny's is always like, it's just always kind of like not great wherever Denny's is. Um, I, I, that's definitely one thing I've noticed. But anyway, talking about Denny's this week because I went to a haunted house with a friend this week. Uh, and a friend graciously invited me out. We went to the haunted house. And then we went to Denny's afterwards. He says it's it's a tradition. Every year after they go to this haunted house, they have to go to Denny's because there's a Denny's right down the road from where the haunted house is. So, you know. That's cool. In fact, I'm just remembering now. I didn't think about it then, you know, at the time, but I'm just remembering now. Back in the day, growing up, going to Netherworld in in Georgia every every Halloween season, the the best haunted house in the world, by the way. Um, but going to Netherworld every Halloween season in growing up in Georgia, I remember that we also always used to go to Denny's after that as well because there was a Denny's in Norcross back where Netherworld used to be located. And so we'd all go to that Denny's afterwards in like high school and college. And so now I'm realizing that there is some weird uh, correlation between like haunted houses and Denny's, which I, I just didn't know was a thing. Uh, so apparently that's like the only way I've ever experienced Denny's is like you go to a haunted house, you go to Denny's, 
what could be better? I, you know, growing up high school, college, going to concerts, you go to steak and shake after the concert, you know, you go to steak and shake, you go to, I, you go to waffle house, you go to something like that. But Denny's is Denny's is specially reserved apparently for some arbitrary reason for the haunted house. So we go to Denny's. I'm very excited because I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's been like at least 10 years. I say college, but like, I, I don't think it was college. It must've been high school. I don't think I've been to a Denny's in at least 10 years. Like it's been, let's put it this way. Undercuts and leather jackets were very popular last time I went to a Denny's. So, I mean, we're talking like 2013 probably here. So I go to the Denny's and I'm, I'm very excited. I don't think my girlfriend's ever been to one. So we're here. It's happening. And I got to say, Denny's hasn't changed a bit since the last time I saw it. COVID has done nothing to the brand. You know, it's like you, you think, oh, man, maybe maybe the pandemic really took a toll on this on this chain restaurant. No, Denny's looked like shit well before COVID. It will look like shit well into the future. It's all good. OK, Denny's looks like shit still. So, yeah, you go in there. Your silverware is dirty. The tables are sticky. It's sad inside. Why does the floor look like the 1970s? Uh, why is there broken glass all over the, I don't know. It's just their aesthetic. It's like their thing, but this Denny's was wonderful. The service was great. Our server was super nice, super quick, super attentive and, and kind. Uh, the food was, was made just the way it's pictured, just the way you expect it. Uh, you know, I got, I got the breakfast burger that has like a freaking egg and hash browns on the burger. It was good shit. The onion rings were a little underwhelming. I also got a kid's chicken tenders with mac and cheese, because even though I don't usually drink a lot I do get a drunk person appetite late at night so I had drunk person appetite so I was like I'll take a kid's chicken tenders with mac and cheese and the adult breakfast burger with the hash browns and the eggs and I'll do onion rings instead of fries and a side of ranch thank you very much and then you know people always laugh at me because I'm like and I'll get that with a cup of water because it's like why are you gonna order 3,000 calories worth of junk food and then get that with a water like just fucking finish it off get a coke whatever so I, I got it with water because I'm a bitch but um so so does expensive these days okay I ain't got three bucks for a fucking coke but anyway food comes out it's exactly what I remember it's cooked well Nothing to complain about. It's your standard chain restaurant diner food. Listen, it's like it's like 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night. I'm not complaining. For the price, for the for the time I waited, for the convenience factor, everything included, the, the time of night in which I'm dining, couldn't couldn't have been any happier. Everything was totally fine. That was until my girlfriend got the uh the limited time pumpkin spice pecan like candied pecan pancakes whatever the fuck these things were i was like oh those will be entirely too sweet and whatever i'm not i, I don't care and then these these things come out and i try a bite of these these are not these are not okay okay these pancakes are not okay these pumpkin spice pecan praline whatever the fuck pancakes these are are ascendant pancakes these are the best these are honest to god these are the best pancakes i've had in a i, I don't know man these are top five pancakes I've ever had. I'm not like some pancake aficionado, but you know, I've been, I've been alive for almost 30 years. I've had my fair share of pancakes. It's not like I'm a, a pan. I don't have a pancake phobia. So like, I know a good pancake when I have one and, and listen, IHOP, I know I've been a lot more IHOPs than I've been Denny's, but IHOP, I ain't ever had a pancake at you. Like the way I've had this one at Denny's. And now it's kind of got me thinking like, do I need to go to IHOP and see what they do for pumpkin spice pancakes in the fall? And this wasn't just because I like pumpkin spice. This was good because it was good all on its own. You know, it was very, very good. It has like a, a spice, a cinnamon spice kind of like syrupy, a caramelly sauce on top. It's got these beautiful, uh, pumpkin spice pancakes where it's not too artificial tasting and there's still a lot of uh moisture and um moisture and denseness to the pancakes they're not super dried out and they're well cooked and i'm, I'm happy boy I'm, I'm very much enjoying these pancakes and i gotta say shout out to denny's the food was good 
the you know the the price gouging and fake made up bullshit inflation hasn't affected you too badly you know it's still you can still a person can still eat there for like 13 14 bucks before tip that's pretty good i'll take it so shout out to denny's um i just wish denny's looked nicer really that's like my only criticism if denny's could just somehow have the cleanliness factor at least to the same standard and level as like an IHOP. You know, it's like, I'm not asking to go into a Denny's and for it to look like a five-star restaurant. I'm not expecting the world of Denny's, but like if they could just remodel their stores and, and come up with like some new kind of sanitary standard to uphold that would at least put them on par with their major competition of IHOP. That, that's all I'm asking for. So it, I don't think it's too much to say, you know, whatever. I ain't never been to a Perkins, but I assume even Perkins must be a little cleaner than a Denny's, you know? So anyway, that was my experience. That's what I've been eating. Denny's, shout to you. It's not great. It's not the best burger I've ever had, but it was damn good for midnight. And those pancakes, forget forget about it. As we, as we say down in the South, forget about it. All right, that's it for what I've been eating. Now let's move on to what I've been playing. Would you be surprised if I said I've been playing Modern Warfare 2 and Starfield? Because I have, and I don't have much to say about them because I don't want to talk yours off and bore you to death with that. I will say, a little over 50 hours into Starfield at this point, I'm disappointed with just the lack of free time I've been able to find to play games as much as I'd like to. But that being said, I'm about 50 hours into Starfield. There are still about 50 things in the game that I actively am thinking of that I want to do in this game. But I am finally feeling like I'm reaching a point where I can maybe put a little like bookmark in it for now, just so I can go play some other things. And I know I'll come I know I'll come back to it. Starfield's not a game I'm deleting from my hard drive anytime soon. It's not a game that I'm done with by any stretch of the imagination. Starfield is a game I fully expect to come back to time and time again. Like the way I always have Sonic Unleashed installed on my hard drive. The way I'll always have Halo 3 installed on my hard drive. The way I'll always have whatever the latest Call of Duty is installed on my hard drive. I'll... I suspect Starfield is, you know, Destiny 2. Starfield is one of those games where it's just like, this is kind of taking up permanent residence on my hard drive. So I'm not I'm not saying goodbye to it. I'm just going to try to find a good stopping point for a while so I can do some other things. But I, I already know the things I'm, I'm coming back to. I, I want to wrap up this Ryujin Industries quest line before I'm completely done. I did finally romance and get together with my my truly my true love, my one and only, Andreja. So I'm very, very proud happy accomplished um and just over the moon i mean i mean i'm I'm just i'm emotionally just the most satisfied person you could ever expect to encounter so she's she's wonderful she's been a great supportive partner and i'm just so happy to be with her so that's happened and um yeah so i'm I'm, I'm still playing starfield i gotta say i mean just i know this game this game just it totally works for me man i i think one of the things i really love about this game is one of the things people hate is that People want to be able to just kind of explore and be like, okay, I was given this uh, task in this quest and wants me to go to this planet, to this settlement, and talk to this person, right? And most people want the Bethesda game where it's like, okay, well, I'm going to go walk and explore and make my way on over to that quest objective, but I'm going to take four hours getting there and get lost along the way and find some side stories to engage with. Whereas Starfield, the way it's kind of broken up because you don't just hop in your ship and go because it's constantly like selecting through menus and loading screens and things like that. I think a lot of people are very used to this. Um, they're very used to the meandering and the exploring, but what what they're being 
affronted with 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 Starfield is this like oh man it's like you're just fast traveling all the time you're just loading all the time you're just menu hopping all the time but to me I love that because it keeps the questing in the game very linear which keeps you consistently engaged with like where the story's at where the character development's at where the where the lore building is at and I love that because like that's my favorite part of this game is just the writing the storytelling the questing and so I I, I think I understand why that's a criticism for so many people and why that is a letdown. I don't think that's an invalid letdown. But for me, it just works because, I mean, you guys know me. You know I like my super simple, straightforward, linear gameplay style. So to me, it's like taking that Bethesda formula and just making it super accessible for people who want streamlined, straightforward, main quest line style gameplay. And so in that regard, Starfield has just been such a, a joy for me. Still through all these 50 plus hours I put into the game, I'm just just really really thrilled with it so there's that playing a little modern warfare 2 we don't have to talk about that there's nothing to say there although i'm very excited for season six reloaded for its halloween event and then payday 3 so on friday night super excited to jump into payday 3 i've got it downloaded i got cronky my party we're about the we're about the we're in the menus we're about to boot on up and get on into this shit i didn't know the servers have been down all all day or two i didn't know you know, we're like 24 hours into the game's launch. I haven't been following along. I just knew the game was out and I wanted to play it. Thursday night, the night before, uh, after the podcast went up, I um I went ahead and I booted it up just to play through the tutorial because I wanted to see how the controls felt, what the kind of, you know, basic mechanics of the game were like because I've never played a Payday, th- a payday game. I, I know what they are. I've just never played one. So I just wanted to get a little feel for it before I went to bed Thursday night. So I booted it up. 20 minutes in the tutorial just playing around like okay this feels good enough this feels good enough that i feel like this could be a jesse game so i'm I'm really excited friday night we're gonna jump in we're gonna get the whole squad together servers are down (laughs) so we didn't play friday night i had no idea we're checking twitter and everything and everyone's like oh it's been down all day and starbreeze is like we're sorry our game is broken Eh, please our servers are broken and i'm like ah that fucking sucks um long story short we just never got a chance to play the whole weekend because we we'd all carved out Friday night on our schedules to play this game and and the game is down it's not working and so fuck that so <laughs> we never played payday 3 i was really looking forward to it and hopefully you know this weekend we can get in and everything will be good but yeah i mean i'm i'm disappointed to say i was really looking forward to payday 3 didn't get a chance to play it and apparently you can play single player with bots it's just the game's always online so even if you try to do that you still need to connect to a server to play and, and the servers are fucking broken so i'm sure it's a lot better now it's been a week at this point so i'm sure it's a lot better now and hopefully this weekend i can uh finally give it a go and have some thoughts and experience with the game but up until this point i have tried to play payday 3 i have not successfully been able to play play payday 3 although i know that people are pissed and Starbreeze is currently looking at ways to play the game offline so it's not an always online game and i know people are review bombing the game because that's what you do when you're upset with the developer is you do what every well-adjusted human being would do and you make fake accounts and you just review spam games you don't like because i don't know because that, that girl you liked in high school didn't she didn't like you back and the rejection hurt so bad that you decided you were never going to try to put yourself out there again so you never asked the girl in college if she wanted to go uh, to the football game with you and you never asked the girl uh that you met at your friend's party that he works with at his job um if she wanted to go grab coffee sometime and you never asked you never asked uh i don't know maybe you never asked your cousin to the to the barn dance i don't fucking know who you are and what your story is but you never asked the girl and because you never did that you became insular 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 wireless and, and you and you became 
uh, angry at the world and you grew resentful and you started watching that guy on YouTube that, that belittles women and who lives in Europe and then got arrested for pizza and then you and Andrew Tate and then you start becoming like him and then you, you say mean things about girls and then every game comes out and you play the game and even though you put 150 hours into the game you still give it a 2 out of 5 on, on Steam because you're a fucking insufferable asshole and that's that's the story that's payday 3 man so I wish I was telling you about the game, but that's that's all I gotta say because I couldn't play the game. So I do love that. I love the whole like I said so much on user reviews. It's like this game sucks one out of five. I can't believe after seventy hours of gameplay, the developers are so greedy that they want you to buy rec packs in order to unlock new weapons and skills. Like I see people complain about Call of Duty like that. They're like, I can't believe you had to buy this twenty dollar skin in order to get this. This weapon, blah, 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 blah. It's like, bro, I, I can't take you seriously when you're like, I'm 150 hours in this game, and now I've encountered something I don't like about it. One out of five. It's like, do the first 150 hours mean nothing to you? Like, God damn, dude. It's so, that's harsh. That's super harsh. I can't. To me, it's like if a game's going to be a one out of five, it means I couldn't get past 10 minutes with the game, you know? Like, maybe that's a one out of five. It's like, this game is broken. You press start, and, and your console blows up, and then your dog dies. That's what happens when you press start on this game. One out of five. That makes sense. I put 150 hours in this game. One out of five. Get out of here. Get out of here. As we as we like to say down in the deep south. Get out of here. Anyway, uh, I'm really good at my New Yorker accent, dude. All right, that's it for what I've been playing, you guys. Take a quick break. Take a sip of water, move on to the main news where it's, like I said, much more uplifting. All right, let's jump into the news, you guys. Starting off with the CMA over in the UK giving us some good news. From VGC, the UK Regulator Competition Market Authority, CMA, has provisionally agreed to allow Microsoft's proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard. The CMA has remained the last major roadblock to the deal closing and initially blocked the acquisition in April due to concerns about the impact on the nascent cloud gaming market. Microsoft attempted to restructure its protect its proposed acquisition, agreeing to sell cloud streaming rights to Ubisoft, leading to the CMA uh, leading the CMA to launch a new mer- uh, merger inquiry. The move has now seemingly been enough to satisfy the CMA, uh, which has posted its provisional decision today, saying, "quote." While the CMA has identified limited residual concerns uh, with a new deal, Microsoft has put forward remedies, which the CMA provisionally concludes should address these issues, the statement reads. They also say, uh, while the restructured deal is materially different to the previous transaction and substantially addresses most concerns, the CMA has limited residual concerns that certain provisions in the sale of Activision's cloud streaming rights to Ubisoft could be circumvented, terminated, or not enforced. Yes, I actually... Brought that potential uh, happening up as well. So, of course, they're going to talk about this. Uh, to address the concerns, Microsoft has offered remedies to ensure that the terms of the sale of Activision's rights to Ubisoft are enforced by the CMA. So the CMA has provisionally concluded that the uh, that the additional protection should resolve these residual concerns. So the CMA can enforce uh, these rights that Ubisoft will have with streaming. Uh, that's that's so cool. That's so cool, giving more power to the to the European government to look or to the UK market authority board to look over uh, 
these two American companies and how they act together. Well, I guess Ubisoft being French, of course. But anyway, the CMA is now open to consultation until October 6th. Uh, They've recently renamed October to October. So uh, after which time it will make a final decision, unless any major objections shed new light on the situation, should now be expected that the CMA will approve the deal. Following the publication of the CMA's provisional decision, Microsoft President and Vice uh, Chair Brad Smith tweeted, quote, We're encouraged by the positive demand of the CMA's review process. We presented solutions that we believe fully address their remaining concerns related to the cloud gaming and streaming, and we will continue to work towards earning um, approval to close prior to the October 18 deadline. Commenting on the provisional decision, the CMA Senior Director and Merger Phase 1 decision maker Colin Raftery, doesn't that, oh, sorry, it's Raftery, Colin Raftery, Said he was satisfied that Microsoft's new proposal satisfies their concerns. All right, clean hands. So, yeah, of course, of course they address. And I talked about this a little bit when it was first announced about the whole like Ubisoft having the streaming rights uh, to Activision games. You know, so Ubisoft basically owns and, and licenses out the streaming rights to Activision's games, which are owned by Microsoft in the future. So, like, if Call of Duty goes to, like, a service like Game Pass, it is licensed out through Ubisoft. So, Microsoft would pay Ubisoft to license games that they make and own to be able to stream them. So, not to sell them. Like, buying Call of Duty 75 on the Xbox storefront, that's a transaction between you and Microsoft. But streaming Call of Duty 75 on Game Pass is a game that is developed in, is developed by an Activision-owned team, which is owned by Microsoft, part of Xbox. Or Xbox part of Microsoft, the X or Microsoft has to license out that game that they own and made to Ubisoft to be able to stream it on their platform on their streaming service, um, and that's how the, the deal would work. And and to avoid any kind of trickery or tomfoolery or laxing of the deal, the CMA is able to help regulate and enforce it, which is just so cool. Um, and but anyway, yeah. But still, with this with this provision, hypothetically, you know, Ubisoft could sell Sony the rights to add call of duty 75 to their streaming service or their playstation plus lineup or something like that so these games could end up being streamable on nvidia geforce or playstation stream streamathon or whatever the fuck playstation calls it now or whatever other you know luna amazon luna so these these things are possibilities now so what whatever at this point it's like anything to get the deal done with right so we can just be done with the whole thing so it seems like that's exactly what's going to happen I was feeling pretty good after the story came out. I'm like, cool, it's basically probably just whisper quiet. And then, you know, as we reach October 18th in the coming weeks, we'll just probably hear like, hey, the deal's done, the merger's done. And then in a couple of months, expect to see like fucking Black Ops 2 on Game Pass or something like that. I don't know. But nope, because not not to be not to be outdone, the FTC, the American um, regulator that was scrutinizing the deal. So the CMA was the, the UK one that was having a hissy fit. And now the FTC over in the US is uh, coming back from the grave with their hissy fit from over the summer that they want to bring back up. They want to, uh, yeah, dredge up some more bullshit. From VGC, the U.S. Federal Trade Commission, or the FTC, have confirmed plans to proceed with its in-house challenge, its court in-house challenge, to Microsoft's planned acquisition of Activision. While the process was paused over the summer, the FTC's case will now be heard in its internal administrative law judge in a trial-like process. The decision follows the U.S. appeals court decision to deny the FTC's bid to pause the acquisition back in July. But as it stands, Microsoft and Activision appear to set the completion of their $69 billion merger ahead of the October 18th deadline after the U.K. CMA provisionally approved the deal. However, according to Bloomberg, the latest development has the FTC saying that they technically can continue to challenge the deal even once it closes, but it's unlikely to stop anything from going through. That is important to note. 
Bloomberg's article says, quote, the FTC continues to believe that the deal is a, uh, a threat to the competition, said an FTC spokesperson, Victoria Graham. Uh, she said that the FTC is placing the issue on the commission's calendar, but that, quote, our current focus is on federal appeals process. Uh, in response to the news, an Activision spokesperson said, we're focusing on working with Microsoft towards closing. However, the FTC uses limited taxpayer dollars is its decision. A Microsoft spokesperson said, quote, we will still anticipate that we will close the deal by October 18th. And we have full confidence in our case that the deal's benefits uh, to gamers and competition. Okay, so let's basically the way this reads and what we can gather from this is it sounds bad. It sounds like, oh, God, this again. But I don't think it's that dire. I think what this is really saying is basically things are good with the CMA now. CMA is probably going to approve all this. Microsoft's going to be able to finish up the deal before October 18th. The deal is going to be done. Don't have to worry about any more roadblocks stopping the deal from happening. That being said, the FTC can still uh, can still launch investigations and scrutinize the deal further, um, which could, I guess, in theory, down the road undo the undo the merger or have have the have this this deal broken up down the road in the future um you know that's like that's like craziest case scenario but that's not likely to happen this is really more of just them continuing to scrutinize and 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 treat and go down this rabbit hole with this deal but ultimately it's probably not going to end up anywhere they're just going to continue to make it a thing it's just something to keep them busy and it's as people on the internet and that's Activision have said they're just fucking around with taxpayer dollars. I don't know, man. I'm of two minds with this. It's like you really believe what you're doing is in the best interest of the consumer and to protect from uh, monopolies and stuff like that. It's like I don't, you know, whatever. The, the money the FTC is using to to investigate this deal is not breaking the bank. It's not the reason why gas prices are high. It's not the reason why you can't afford a house anymore. It has nothing to do with that. So it's like whatever. I I, I get in theory people are like, well, that's taxpayer dollars. It's like fucking cry me a river you want to complain about tax dollars being being wasted look at the fucking military budget i mean like the ftc is hardly affecting anything about how our our day-to-day -day lives go in terms of what we can afford and and in how much things cost and and uh and what we're able to get accomplished in this country in terms of funding so i, I i'm not i'm not super concerned about that aspect that's more of just hand-wringing to try and make the ftc continue to look like the bad guys and that's not to say i'm pro or anti FTC in this, in this scenario, it's just to say like, that's, that's, that's a whole lot of just bitching and whining and moaning. I, I mean, I guess it's the principle of the matter is like, why would you continue to spend time and money and energy on this when we could spend time and energy and money on things that actually fucking matter? I don't know, because we're really hell bent on making sure people stay homeless and that, uh, uh roads are dog shit for the rest of forever. So that's, that's the long and the short answer. But anyway, I know we said no negativity. This is mostly positive, I think. Between the CMA and the FTC deal, this is basically saying the thing that was affecting the deal, the CMA, is now no longer going to be an obstacle. This deal is going to clear with all these provisions in place. That's good news. We knew that, but now we have more of an official word on it. The FTC is coming back from the dead for another round. Whatever. Let them huff and puff. Let them do their thing. Who gives a shit? It doesn't really affect us. I think the deal is going to go through, and that's going to be that. I'm feeling pretty damn confident. I mean, how often do you see deals like this get retroactively unwound over the FTC being like, hey, we're still angry about this, and we're all just like, shut up, Grandma. I'm playing Modern Warfare 2 20, the 2009 version, not the 2022 version, on my Xbox Series X through the power of Game Pass. And Grandma says, what? And then you say, put on your hearing aid, old lady. And then someone writes an article about you being ageist, and then you say, shut up, old man. 
because it's funny and no one's really offended and we all laugh because old people are dumb. Anyway, that's not true. I like old people. I actually have a kink for old people. Old people are my thing, baby. All right, let's move on before I dig this hole any deeper. Xbox players can expect Japanese AAA games in the future, according to Phil Spencer from VGC. Xbox boss Phil Spencer, also known as the CEO of gaming, has said that players can expect to see AAA exclusive games from Japanese developers in the future. In an interview with Game Watch, Spencer was asked if Xbox would eventually get uniquely Japanese AAA titles like Lost Odyssey or Blue Dragon, kind of like, you know, how they did back in the 360 days, instead of just getting Xbox versions of Japanese games that already exist on PlayStation and Nintendo platforms. When asked if when asked if it was difficult for Xbox to meet those expectations, Spencer replied, not at all. I think you, I think you can expect that. In fact, well, uh, when we released Hi-Fi Rush in January, we may not have been a major uh, title like Blue Dragon, but it was certainly high quality. Uh, it, you might even say it was Hi-Fi. Uh, there are... Uh, <clears throat> There are also Japanese game creators who are part of Microsoft Game Studios. And while there are titles we can't yet announce, we are currently developing new games in collaboration with Japanese companies. With further growth, included first party and third party, I believe you can look forward to the arrival of even more Japanese titles in the future. Well, we already know Hideo Kojima's project is one of those games, and we also know that they have um, Tango Gameworks, which is a Japanese company that's going to continue to make exclusive first party games. Um under the Bethesda banner for Xbox and PC and Game Pass. So, yeah, I mean, you already have two right there. But I guess what what he's hinting at or teasing at is possibly, like, more like Xbox 360-era exclusives. I mean, like, back in the 360, that really was the big push with Xbox to get Japanese content. You got Blue Dragon and Lost Odyssey, like the article mentions. You also had, like, Tales of... Um, what Which Tales of game was it? Uh, shit, the one with the, the freaking purple dog, man. Vesperia, right? Yeah, Tales of Vesperia? No, not Vesperia. Which one was it? I don't fucking know. That Tales of game. Bandai Namco. So, I mean, like, uh, oh, yeah, like like Dead Rising. That was a very Xbox-aligned franchise. Um, while those games did eventually start to come to Wii and PlayStation and all that, uh, some of those games were exclusive to Xbox. Some of them were timed exclusive to Xbox. And that was a heavily Xbox-associated game. That was a Capcom-developed franchise. Uh, not did I say Dead Island? What I meant to say was what was that game called? Rising, Dead Rising. Goddamn, why did I forget? I mean, we even had a couple of Dead Rising games on Xbox One. So I mean, like you think about like maybe they'll make a Dead Rising Five or something exclusive for Xbox Series. That could be a second party game. I mean, I know that franchise has kind of come and gone and done its thing already, but you know, I mean, I don't know, Dead Rising Five exclusive to Xbox Series consoles. Day One Game Pass game also available on PC. Fuck you, PlayStation. I mean, that could be a good Japanese get. Although. I don't know. Dead Rising is a little different because Dead Rising always struck me as kind of like a Japanese game developed by a Japanese developer. That's like really, really tailor-made and geared towards a Western audience. So it's like eh, not the best example. You know, like we need to get something weeby at here. I mean, but that was that's always kind of been like the thing about Japanese support on Xbox. It's kind of like do Xbox gamers want to play these overtly Japanese games? It's like or, you know, it's like are, are Xbox gamers willing to play anything that's more weeby than say like a dead rising and so that's part of it but i i don't know there's one thing i've noticed as an xbox fan over the years it's that the xbox player has evolved and broadened their horizons and their tastes in gaming and maybe game pass is a huge contributing factor to that or maybe just kind of the the diminishing of the of the gears of war forza halo era um has has kind of naturally done that i'm, I'm not sure what to say but it just i don't know i feel like xbox used to have a very like bro madden shoot guns 
bruja kind of attitude. And these days, Xbox is very much like kind of like a it's a place to play video games, whether you're playing a freaking indie game or you're playing a AAA shooter or you're playing a RPG. It's just a place to play games. So I don't know. I feel like if if Xbox had the kind of support and output of Japanese titles that they had in the 360 years on the Xbox Series S and X, I feel like they could find more success. Maybe that's just kind of a knee jerk anecdotal observation. But I, I just I do feel like that is a thing and we just got to see them. Hopefully continuing to just invest more and more and more in Japan, even if it is at a loss for a long time, just because they have a lot of years and a lot of reputation to make up for. And it's going to take a lot more than one or two Japanese games to make the Japanese market care about Xbox and to make the Xbox player base consider Xbox to be a valid place to play those Japanese games. So it's just going to take a lot of dedication and and you're just going to have to show that you you care and that you're going to stay in this space for a long time. And then I think eventually people, people will come. I think the bigger hurdle really, in my opinion, is more so getting the Japanese market to give a shit about Xbox more so than it is getting the Xbox player base to care about Japanese games because I think we're already starting to see that happen. I mean, things like Persona and the Yakuza series are pretty big on Xbox. It's something you would never have expected to say about Xbox 10, 15 years ago. But, I mean, still to this day, I mean, Japan doesn't give a shit about Xbox. That That's the million-dollar question is how to fix that. I don't know, and I don't... I, I Honestly, not confident that Xbox will ever gain relevancy in Japan, but I do think you can make Japanese games relevant to Xbox players, and that, I think, is worth pursuing. All right, let's talk about Ubisoft. Speaking of Japanese, let's talk about French company Ubisoft. CEO Gilles, Yves Guillemont is betting on streaming revolutionizing the games industry in the same way that it transformed TV and film. The Assassin's Creed publisher recently agreed to acquire cloud gaming rights outside of the European economic area. For all Activision Blizzard games released over the next 15 years, should Microsoft's $69 billion be, you know, whatever. We talked about it. We literally just talked about it. Now it's coming back. While not disclosing the finer details of the transaction, Gilmont told the Financial Times that Ubisoft's streaming deal will involve a one-off payment to Microsoft. His quote, When Netflix first said that it was going to go into streaming, their shares fell a lot of the, uh, their shares fell a lot, and the way, uh, and they were widely criticized. Today we see what they've become. It's like going the same video games. It's going the same with video games, but it will take time. But when it takes off, it will happen very quickly. Research group Omdia estimates that cloud gaming services will bring in $3.2 billion in 2023, representing 2% of the total consumer spending on games. But that figure will at least double in the next five years. We quote, we strongly believe in the next five to 10 years, many gamers will be streaming and will also be and will also be produced into the cloud, said Gilmont. That's what pushed us to go forward with this Microsoft deal. Boosted by the launch of increasingly powerful mobile technology, Gilmont expects game streaming to embrace the emerging markets where console gaming hasn't established a major foothold. Quote, countries that need to progress very quickly, often jump to new technologies and skip old methods and old systems, he said. So we think that these regions will move quickly into streaming and into cloud more than others. So, sorry, it's, that wording is like fucking alphabet soup. It's translation, so sorry. Um, or must be. <laughs> so, I, I actually do see some logic in this. We'll get, I guess I'll make my first point second, because I, I this part the second point's already on my mind. But I, I understand that logic, and it's a... It's a big part of why I think Xbox is trying so hard to get Eastern games on Xbox. Isn't necessarily even so much to get pre-existing Xbox players to care about Japanese games or Chinese games or Korean games, but more so because it's like we want the Chinese market and the Korean market and the Japanese market and fuck. I mean, they want the Indian market 
to play Xbox because they want those people to subscribe to Game Pass and that will blow up the freaking numbers of Game Pass, right? I mean, you think about countries like, especially like like China or India, where it's like they just have massive, massive populations. And you think about like China with its booming middle class right now and like how every, com- every company is trying to get into China because they want that, they want that, what seems like an American an American economy like type type deal with that, with that new middle class and that wealth and that, that demand for new consumer products and goods and to be able to meet the demands because that country has such a massive population relative to, you know, something much smaller like Korea or Japan or something even smaller like the U S I mean, China's fucking huge. And while India doesn't necessarily have the same economic prosperity that a lot, that parts of China experience, I mean, it still has the population and there is a demand for tech and for subscription services and things like that. So, I mean, you, you want those, those markets. And that's the whole point of like pushing for Xbox and for game pass to be more of a thing you can stream from your iPhone or your computer or whatever, as long as you have a controller, you can make it happen. Right. Because you're not going to get China to suddenly give a shit about console gaming. It's not going to happen. Console gaming wasn't allowed in China for so, so long that that is a market of people who have completely missed out on what we understand as console gaming. Those people don't want to go buy a $500 box, put it in their living room, sit down with a controller and play games running natively off that box. It's just not what they do. It's like Russia. It's like China. It's like Korea is even this way for a long time, although I think console gaming is a lot stronger in that market relative to China, at least, where it's like the the console market isn't going to happen in that country, but you can still get those people to play Xbox if Xbox is streaming an app on your phone, because those those people do play video games in these in these countries, but they play them on computers and on phones. That's why mobile is so important for these markets. So that's what Xbox is going off of. I mean, that's we've known that forever. That's always been kind of the plan with Game Pass. And so I think this is Eve's Gilmont basically saying the same thing. I, it's it's an interesting point, which is that these these markets that didn't you know that that were behind in with these kinds of products and experiences they're not going to go retroactively back and play you know china's not going to be like okay we finally have like normalized and allowed console like consoles from japanese and american manufacturers to be imported into china and to be sold to our people so what what they expect like the chinese people to be like yeah i'm going to import a, a super nintendo and, and pretend it's 1994 and, and play super mario world and be like ah yes here's everything i've been missing out on the past 30 years or whatever like that's not what's going to happen is the chinese market is going to go cool we have access to all these video games uh, me and my kids and my friends and everything, we were all raised on freaking computer games and mobile games. So we're going to play that shit because that's what we like. That's what we know. That's how, you know, it's where we're at. So it's not about getting, uh, finding a way to sell the Chinese market, a PlayStation or an Xbox. It's about trying to have PlayStation and Xbox meet them where they're at with cloud streaming, with mobile gaming, with computer gaming, because that's, that's the market you want to capture ultimately, and that's what you see as the future. So that's Yves Gilman basically just doubling down on and affirming that. But also, I, I I guess to now kind of circle back to what my first point was going to be is with Ubisoft, it's a little bit of like, I don't know, how much is this, how much of this scenario with Xbox and Ubisoft and the streaming thing is like, it just kind of fell into place. Like, maybe this is a little tinfoil hat, but I can't help but feel like the reason why Ubisoft of all the other companies is because Xbox has a decent relationship with Ubisoft. That's number one. Ubisoft is probably the best big European video game publisher akin in some way to an Activision or EA type of entity that Microsoft can work with to be like, hey, the CMA is a European-based regulator, although specifically for the UK, but still they're concerned with Europe and competition and markets in Europe. And you are a big partner of ours that is European-based, so you kind of have some 
rapport and some kind of goodwill built in with the CMA relative to us, an American corporation. And so maybe if we make this deal with you guys, it will build some goodwill and help get the CMA's guard down a little bit. Plus, we know you guys are good for it and you guys won't like hound us for a lot of money and fuck us over on this deal. And we feel like we can kind of scratch your back a little bit by giving you this really huge opportunity to kind of control the 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 streaming license for Activision games. I mean, Call of Duty, the biggest game out there. Um, while also being like, hey, this is my thing, hold on to it. It's like, I don't know, I kind of see it like um, Microsoft is like handing Ubisoft the keys to their like uh, their McLaren and being like, hey, this is my really fucking nice luxury sports car. Um, I need you to keep this in your garage and hold on to it for a while. You can drive it, but don't fucking break it and uh, just be careful who you let look at it and touch it and see it. Just, you know, be good to it. I love this thing. It's my baby, but I need you to look after it for a while. And that's kind of like the situation. It's like Microsoft trusts Ubisoft. Microsoft's not necessarily giving Ubisoft their thing. They don't necessarily want to even give Ubisoft the thing in the first place. But of all their options, they feel like this is kind of the fastest, the best, most effective, most trustworthy way to get this deal across the finish line and get this over with. And so it's this 15-year weird licensing streaming deal with Ubisoft. And it's great for Ubisoft because obviously they have now the access to the Call of Duty license. It's great for them for business. They get the experience. They get to work with other partners. They get to make money off of it. And then for Xbox, it's also like they they trust that their their brand and their thing, their Activision, is in good hands with a with a solid partner of theirs in Ubisoft. So it's kind of like a win 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 type of deal. And so naturally now, of course, with the, an amazing opportunity like this falling into the laps of of Ubisoft, you assume, of course, Gilmont is going to be out there publicly speaking with this PR talk, like, yeah, streaming is the future, and we believe in it. And it's all about meeting these emerging markets where they're at, rather than trying to get you know these Western markets to stop playing hard, like hardware consoles and to start streaming their games because, you know, now he's got a financial investment in this. He's got some skin in the game. He's got to protect the decisions and the deals that his company is making in the path they're headed in. So now like he's got skin in the game. So I don't know. I just can't help but, but wonder I mean, a little, again, a little tinfoil hat, but it's like, yeah, I mean, of course, Gilmont believes in the future of streaming because it, it fucking matters to him now, you know? I don't know, this is a bigger deal for them than, than Ubisoft Plus, uh, to say the very least. Uh, so, whatever, there's that. Although I do really want to subscribe to, like, at least one month of Ubisoft Plus, because I want to try the, the Crew Motor Fest. I just, time, I don't have time, but I want to. All right, let's uh, round up the podcast. I don't know why this story ended up here. It should have been earlier in the show, but our wrap-up story of the week is uh, Glenn Schofield, founder of, of Striking Distance and CEO of the company, is leaving the, the developer. So Striking Distance CEO Glenn Schofield has, has announced he's leaving Crafton own studio after their debut game, The Callisto Protocol, failed to meet expectations, released back in December. A Crafton representative told Bloomberg that Schofield has decided to pursue new opportunities and that Striking Distance chief operating officer and chief financial officer are also leaving the company voluntarily. So basically all the higher-up people have left the company. Former Sledgehammer Games and Visceral Games general manager... Uh, Glenn Schofield, who's best known as the co-creator of the Dead Space franchise, founded Striking Distance back in 2019 with the goal of crafting an original narrative experience based in the PUBG universe. The project evolved over time into a sci-fi survival horror game that was no longer tied to the PUBG franchise. The Callisto Protocol received mixed reviews when it released back in December, a month before EA released the critically acclaimed Dead Space remake. In January, an analyst claimed that Crafton had targeted 5 million sales for uh, Callisto Protocol, but that's following a slow start, and it could struggle to reach 2 million by the end of 2023. 
Bloomberg reports that striking distance has laid off over 30 members of the staff in, in recent months and that it is now the, at a headcount of around 90 employees, according to the website. Striking distance chief financial officer Stephen uh, Paputis, Papuzzi, I don't know, will replace Schofield as CEO going forward. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's too much to look into this other than to say it's, it's like kind of a little bit of a build off of what we said back in, what was it, February, March, when the story came out about Crafton's ridiculous expectations. They gave this game a near $200 million budget, which is ridiculous for a first effort on a new IP for a horror game, which is already something of a niche genre. And then the game, in my opinion, is pretty good. I liked the Callisto Protocol. I played it when it came out last year. I, I don't think it's as good as Dead Space, but I think it's pretty good. And I had a really fun time playing it. It's a little rough around the edges. There's some things I don't love about it. I'm really not a huge fan of the melee system in the game. But that being said, the narrative is really interesting. The world is really interesting. It, it definitely scratches that Dead Space itch without being as good, but still being pretty damn good. And I think Callisto Protocol is great. That being said, the budget that went into this game, the expectations for sales just completely off like this game could have been should have been made for half the money with a sales expectation of around what it actually sold because if it, you know, if the game sold around two million that's that's great for a brand new ip survival horror game that's really really good but to have these ridiculous expectations that a game like this was going to sell like i don't know like something like five million copies in its first year i mean it's just like what the what the fuck are you thinking here man like maybe if this was like some first person shooter multiplayer game like maybe but not not for a survival horror game. So this was just already a ridiculous expectation. The game is good and deserved, in my opinion, more attention, more praise. And um, it's unfortunate because now this game is never going to get a sequel. And this team is never going to be able to reach the heights they could have reached if, they're, if the expectations of their publisher had just been realistic. And if they had just been given or not been given enough rope to hang themselves with as, as they seemingly have done. So it really sucks. Glenn Schofield, obviously a really, really important name um, in the industry, really important creative and contributor to gaming. And now he's out along with some of the most important people at the company. And that's and along with the, the layoffs. That means striking distance is one of these teams now where it's like, okay, they formed, they made a game. They are now a completely different team under the same name. And who knows what the fuck they'll do next. Maybe they'll do some, other PUBG spinoff that's completely unrelated to Callisto Protocol, but regardless of the fact, it's it's sad. You know, there's there's basically the striking distance that we that we knew. They were around from 2019 till 2023. They put out one game, and now they are whatever the hell they go on to be. But it's not it's not going to be the, the guys that brought us Callisto Protocol. So that's going to do it for all of our major news this week, you guys. Let's round out real quick with important enough news stories. Stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussions, of which we got a handful. So. All from VGC, the only website my internet lets me access. Xbox boss Phil Spencer said that he would love to revisit the Mech Assault franchise. When asked during a TGS interview, he said, there's so much about the whole franchise that in some ways it was ahead of its time and it would also be nice to get back and revisit it. Uh, Mech Assault was released in 2002 for original Xbox and was notably being one of the first games to support Xbox Live. The game was developed by Day One Studios, which would later go on to rebrand as Wargaming Chicago Baltimore, where it currently works on World of Tanks. Um, Phil Spencer then joked after he made the comment, he says, we don't have any plans today, so it's not like leaking or anything. Speaking of leaks, referring to, of course, the huge leaks that happened last week. So he's being a little, he's being a little tongue in cheek about it, being a little cute and fun. And it's like the third or fourth time in the past five, 10 years 
Phil Spencer's mentioned wanting to bring back Mechasol, by the way. Next up, Bayonetta and wonderful 101 director Hideki Kamiya has announced that he will be leaving Platinum Games next month. He's been with the company for basically forever. The company's VP and co-founder said on social media that he made the decision after a lot of consideration based on his own beliefs, suggesting that he would continue making games. Platinum Games said we're grateful, or sorry, we regret to announce that Hideki Kamiya will be leaving Platinum Games on October 12th, 2023. We are truly grateful for his creative ideas, leadership, and contribution to the growth of Platinum Games and our from this from our startup to this very day. We believe he will continue to succeed in the future endeavors as a game creator. We look forward to seeing blah blah blah. Industry goes without him, whatever. I mean, Kamiya added. Kamiya added as announced. Uh, on the official Platinum Games Twitter account, although he called it X, which is funny. I will be leaving Platinum Games on October 12th. This came after a lot of consideration based on my own beliefs, and that was not a decision, easy decision to make. Kamiya, co-founder of Platinum Games, um, co-founded the, the team back in 2006, but his career began at Capcom when he was best known for his work on Resident Evil 2, Devil May Cry, and its spin-off Clover Studio, Okami, and, of course, Beautiful Joe. So, I mean, this is like iconic game developer super important guy again glenn schofield hideki kamiya we're talking about iconic game developers legendary game developers things are changing shit they're not moving not sure why he's moving him leaving is actually a huger deal i don't know why i put it at the bottom of the podcast because uh i guess i just don't have a lot to say about it but like the, the huge implications for him leaving you you gotta wonder what the hell's going on things don't look too good at platinum games and with him leaving it doesn't look i mean it only looks worse so yeah not good Next up, Blizzard Entertainment has laid off a number of employees from its Hearthstone team. The new staff cuts seemingly broke via LinkedIn updates from former team members that later confirmed that Activision Blizzard uh, or that, that Activision Blizzard laid them off in a statement to Ethan Ga Gash Gak on Kotaku. Uh, so yeah, ap apparently about ten people have been impacted by the restructure. So again, as always, it's getting tough out there. Uh, next up, Ubisoft revealed that The Division 3 is in early development. That's right. The publisher announced that Julian Geardy, who is currently serving as creative director on Star Wars Outlaws, has also been appointed to executive produce The Division series. As part of the announcement, it was confirmed Division 3 will be one of the projects that he's overseeing and that Massive Entertainment will be leading developer development in um, as, as done with the previous two games. So they made the first two Division games. Now they will make Division 3. Um, that being said, still... This is unrelated to the new mobile game Division Resurgence and, of course, the new Division Heartland uh, Games as a Service game that's coming out next year. So this is unrelated to those games. And then uh, there's also a Division TV series that's in the works. So we're just getting a lot of Division. You're getting a mobile game. You're getting a free-to-play multiplayer game. You're going to get a Division 3 proper. You're going to get a TV show. We're going to get freaking Division Plush. We're going to get uh, Division Calculators that, that can only divide and they can't multiply. We're going to get all kinds of Division content, so stay tuned if you if you really freaking love Division. Uh, next up, a new Lord of the Rings game, Tales of the Shire, have been announced for PC and consoles, being developed by New Zealand-based special effects prop company, Weta Workshop, which is perhaps best known for its work on Lord of the Rings and Hobbit films. Uh, it will be published by Take-Two, private division label. The, guy, the private division is the Take-Two label that did The Outer Worlds. Quote, your cozy hobbit life awaits in the tale of the Shire, a heartwarming new Lord of the Rings game due out in 2024 on consoles and PC, said Private Division. A teaser for the game trailer is online, and the date is listed as coming soon. Now, remember, Embracer acquired the entertainment rights to Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit back last year, so this is probably them licensing it out to uh, Private Division Take-Two in order to make some money because they're not doing well. And then next up, Sony has announced that Horizon Forbidden West Complete Edition is coming to PC following the rumors and leaks. Uh, set for October 6th on PC and 
or sorry, PC in early 2024, October 6th for PS5. Um, but the, uh, yeah, complete edition of Horizon Forbidden West, which came out last year, will be coming for 60 bucks on Steam. So you can look forward to playing the second Horizon game if you liked the first one. Next up, Ubisoft and Microsoft have teamed up for a Halo crossover in Rainbow Six Siege. A new elite set for operator character Sledge has been added, which has him dressed up as Master Chief from the Halo series. The set comes with a Spartan 117 headgear and uniform based on Master Chief, as well as the uh, gravity hammer. Next up, Cal Kestis voice actor Cameron Monaghan has said that he's currently working on a third Star Wars Jedi game during a panel at Ocala Comic Con. Monaghan said, we're working on a third game and we're in the process of doing that right now. Uh, which should not be surprising following, you know, Respawn was talking about wanting to do a third a third game. Stag, who just left Respawn, actually was talking about wanting to do a third game uh, before the second one even came out. So that's not surprising at all. All right. And three more. We got uh, EA has been seemingly de- delisting FIFA back catalog games from digital storefronts on console and PC. This is probably a licensing thing now that they don't have the FIFA license. But, yeah, they're, they're delisting FIFA games um, as early as 2022, I think from like all digital storefronts, although they're still playable. Like they're just, yeah, they're, they're, they're basically burning FIFA because now they got EAFC 24 instead of FIFA. So we won't talk about the whole digital versus physical thing with that because that's a nauseating conversation, but we do have some comments about digital versus physical later in the show. So we'll get to that in a little while. Next up, Nintendo Switch version of Red Dead Redemption 2 has been spotted by Brazilian Ratings website, spotted by Twitter user, and an unannounced Switch version of Rockstar's game is listed alongside currently unavailable. We know that in Microsoft's leaked um, emails and data from last week that apparently it was expected that there'd be a next-gen version of Red Dead Redemption 2, so I wonder if this is related to that. And then finally, Squanch Games has confirmed the release date for High on Life's first major DLC. The expansion, titled High on Knife, was announced back in June and didn't get a release date until now. It's coming on October 3rd for Xbox and PC, but a price has not been confirmed as of yet. And that is going to do it for all of our news this guy, this week, you guys. We're, we made it to the end of the show, and now there's time for nothing left other than the podcast, the shout-outs. You know how it works. You go over to YouTube.com slash Xbox on Podcast. You click on the latest episode, and you leave a comment. You can say something nice. You say something mean. You can even say something in between. But what you can't say is that those pumpkin spice waffles or pancakes, they're pancakes, not waffles, from Denny's. You can't say that they're bad because they're not bad. They're good. And if you think they're bad, you're bad. All right, let's uh, go back to our battle of the physical versus digital media. So last week, we were talking about the new... Xbox Series X, which leaked, which is supposed to be all digital, and I talked about how just embrace the future. All digital's good. Get over it. You, you scrubs. And we got perfect. We got two writings. Perfect. One for and one against the argument. So I'm excited to go into these and, and, and hear hear out your perspectives and your thoughts and opinions. So Mr. Malg writes in, kicks off with our first comment, says, I'm going to have to disagree with you on your take about physical games going away. I get it's not important to you, but it doesn't mean that there aren't millions of us out there that don't see the value in physical games. It's true that nowadays there's just a license on a piece of plastic, but people like that value being able to hold something physically. It's one of the few things left consoles have that's an advantage over PC. It's like how you see, it's like how you and I see the value of in cars with manual transmissions and be high revving engines with an exhaust that lets cars sing. Yeah, electric cars are faster and there's less work to having two pedals to drive, um, but you use, but to us it's not just about the speed and the ease of use, but the experience. So Mr. Mag, listen. I love you, long-time listener. I always appreciate when you write it, and I I love having you here. The thing is, I want to be sympathetic to your argument, and yes, and you appeal to my emotions by reasoning with me about our shared love over cars with manual transmissions and all these things, and you can, listen, you can make the argument with that all day long, because I I, I know at the end of the day, the difference between an electric car 
and a car and, a, and an ice car with a, with a with a manual transmission is that there's a different driving experience. You get a fundamentally different driving experience. Not that one is better than the other, but it is different. And so there's a different exper- different experience you have, and therefore there's a different connection and a way to admire and appreciate the experience of driving a car. And so you can make that argument, and I can understand that, and I can accept that. Not just because I like manual cars, but because there's a difference that I can understand. But that's not the same cannot be said with with the whole physical versus digital media, because I'm reading your point here. And again, you're appealing to my emotions. You're a nice guy. I love you. I, de- I definitely would like to maybe one day have you over for dinner and, you know, knock you out and maybe take advantage of you in the back of my car or something like that. It has a manual transmission. So maybe you won't even mind. I don't know. But joking aside, it's that you didn't make a specific argument for why physical matters. You say you say like. For those of us that like it, it's one of the last few things that console gaming has over PC gaming is that we still have physical media, but you didn't explain what that advantage is. Yeah, so you have physical media over digital media, but what is that advantage to having physical I can tell you the disadvantage. The disadvantage is you had disc laying all over the fucking place, and you got to pop one out and pop one in every time you want to switch games. So I can... so. In an indirect way, you're making a case for why digital is superior because you don't have to do that obnoxious step. You just got the thing there. Now, I can respect and understand just the pure aspect of wanting to collect. I understand why people like having a thing on their shelves. They like having they, they like spending $70 and actually getting something physical for it because you get that feeling of like, ooh, yeah, I, I got something. You know, I, I get that. It's always cooler when someone gives you a hundred bucks than fucking Venmo's you, right? Because it's like, oh, cool, money, a thing. Like, I'm getting a thing. Although, I guess Venmo's way more convenient, which only furthers my argument about digital. But I, I understand the, 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 just the, the innate desire to, like, hold on to the physical object and for that to be, like, a, like a part of the appreciation factor of owning a game. I get that. But you haven't told me what the true benefit is to having a physical game. It's not that like if you told me it's like well the thing the reason why you want a physical game is because since uh, the console is able to read all the data off the disc and not have to read it off the console it's actually faster because because hard drives can read data off a disc faster than they can read it off of SSDs but that's not even fucking true because SSDs are faster so that's that's not how that works so there's not an advantage but like it, it, you see what I'm saying it's like I'm trying to find a way in which it makes more sense but there is no like. There is no like thing that a physical game can do that digital game can't provide you other than a box with a sleeve and a disc. So I'm, I'm not trying to discredit people who like collecting physical games. That's cool. Teach your own. I, I totally get that. But I just don't think there's any real value or benefit to physical games that like really warrants them needing to stick around. And again, it's like it, of all the of all the major game players who uh, have any incentive to get rid of physical media isn't it Xbox because if, if there is no such thing as physical media anymore and everything's a digital download it's just another reason to kind of nudge you towards Game Pass it's like you don't really own any of this shit anyway why don't you just subscribe you can't buy a physical copy and keep the case on your shelf anymore anyway so you might as well just subscribe because that's what they want you to do so I mean you understand the motive Xbox has here to, to, to move away from physical media so I don't know. I, I love listen. I'd love to hear you follow up and, and try and make more of a case. I just I just feel like you you fail somewhat to to specifically tell me what that benefit of physical media is. 
because I, again, it doesn't it doesn't have to mean that physical media is superior to digital. It just means there has to be a benefit. If the benefit is purely just people like having something physical to hold and own, fine. But I just I I just uh, I just don't know if that's if that's good enough to really justify justify continuing physical media forever and always. Also, I mean, like, listen these. These guys got all the incentive in the world to get away from physical media because when Xbox sells Halo Infinite at Best Buy or Target, they got to give like 5% of, of every copy sold to Best Buy and Target. You know, they get a they get a cut of the $60, $70 game. But when you buy a game from the Xbox marketplace, that's 100% profit. So what fucking incentive do they have for you to go buy the game at Target when you could just download it and they can get more money off of you? convenient for you and it's more profitable for them all right temple knight has the counter argument where he says jesse i think you're dead on right about digital over physical i used to hate the idea of digital until i tried it and now i'm completely flipped i don't have to worry about lost stolen or damaged discs or i have to worry about storing a massive collection of games i have over 200 titles on my xbox uh, account and the wife used to be furious when i had 30 or 40 physical games built up now it's all digitally attached, and I can seamlessly transition from one game to another. If I'm at a friend's house, I just log in and download the game. Don't need to worry about bringing a disc. I'm all in on the one digital. Uh, I'm all in on digital, and I look forward to seeing how the refresh actually looks versus the render shown. In theory, the cylindrical shape could have just been a concept art. The slide doesn't indicate the final, uh, the finality in the design. I'm also excited to see how the controller links directly to the cloud, improves performance. I really like the haptic feedback of the DualSense, and I'm glad Xbox is looking for its own version of that. So I agree with you on all those other things, but let's let's focus on the digital versus physical thing. Um, but also, side note, I, I think that cylindrical shape is probably pretty finalized, but I hope I'm wrong. So this is this is the point I'm trying to make: is like Temple Knight actually gives like arguments, like points for like why digital is better. Again. You don't need the massive physical library. Your wife isn't like, what the fuck are you doing with all these games? You have the convenience and ease of just being able to flip between game to game to game by just going to your dashboard, looking at your library, and picking the next game you want to play. You go to a friend's house. You just log into your account, and boom, there's all your shit. You didn't have to bring anything over with you. Um, again, it's just like incentive after incentive after incentive. You don't have to worry about damaged discs. You don't have to worry about losing a game. Any of that. It's just, again, just benefit after benefit after benefit. So... Again, it's just I, I want I know there's always going to be that loud group of people that are like, no, we need the disc. But listen, kind of like Temple Knight, I was the same way. I was always on Team Physical Media. I don't remember why, but in 2013 or no, early 2014, when I bought my Xbox One, I got the Titanfall edition of the console. I remember coming home with it and being like, ah, kind of sucks that it comes with a digital for Titanfall instead of the actual game. But whatever, I'm not going to let that bother me. And then I downloaded Titanfall. And I was like, you know what? It's kind of fucking badass just having a game downloaded and not having to think about the disc. You know, like a big like Call of Duty level AAA game. And I don't have to worry about finding the disc or popping it out or anything. I just I just play the game. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to fuck around with this a little bit. Because I remember at the early, the beginning part of the Xbox One years, I was like, oh, I still want to buy some physical games. So like I went about like Forza Motorsport 5 and like Wolfenstein um what was it the uh the old the new the, the new order whatever the first one was and i got the physical versions and like i i ended up stopping after a little bit i was like these are the only physical games i bought for my xbox one because i just i just realized it's like that titanfall physical thing got me hooked i love this physical is way worse than, than digital because i just rather have all this shit downloaded and i never looked back and now all these years later like 10 years later i'm just like yeah fuck it i'm never going back 
to, to physical. Why would I, why, like what benefit is there to do that? So I don't know, man, be more like me. Just adopt all my preferences and opinions. You can't have your own opinions. So thank you. Temple Knight. Thank you, Mr. Maug. Hope you're all having a wonderful week and let's move on over to other comments. Redo Vandal writes in and says, don't mind me asking. I might be late. Not noticing. Will modding be the next big open world trend console players will experience more of? I know Bethesda allowed mods on previous games, but will but will other studios make note of this? I think there's such a creative way gamers and devs for, uh, can connect. Yeah, I, when Fallout 4 introduced this on console, I really thought this was going to be a thing, and then it ended up not taking off or becoming a thing. So I, I really don't know. I, the, the thing is, the way mods work on Bethesda games on Xbox is like through a very curated service and platform. It's not quite the same as like how it works on like Steam games. And Xbox is never going to open up their platform to developers and to consumers to be able to tamper with and fuck around with the way that you can do so on PC. So I just don't think that developers are going to really do it because Xbox is never really going to open up the dev tools to allow people to go nuts. And so it's always going to be this like kind of like specialized console version. And I just I, I just don't see it taking off, honestly, because, again, that is one of the benefits. That's one of the draws to console gaming is its simplicity. You start to take away these things or add, add all these like ways to customize and play differently and modify. And then your Xbox becomes more and more of a PC. And that's uh, that's not that. I don't know. That's like antithetical to the simplicity and the beauty of of the home console. The home console is the thing where you plug it up, you turn it on, you pick a game, you play. That's it. No fuss. No, no, no modding. No. No driver installing or updating needed. It's just pure plug-and-play simple. So I, I don't think that that's going to happen, but I do think Starfield will be, just like Fallout 4, uh, a rare game that has really good mod support and is a lot of fun to do on Xbox. But I think that will be uh, the exception and not the rule. That's my guess. Next up, Mr. Mag also wrote a second comment. says, I have to confess... Uh, I haven't been playing Starfield as much as I should have. I gotten past the ten or twenty. I haven't gotten past the ten to twenty hour beginner barrier that everyone keeps mentioning you gotta go through. I've been too focused on nobody saves the world, and I put too many hours into that game. And Cyberpunk just released their two point patch, which has got me sucked back in. But I'll behave. I'll I'll hold off Phantom Liberty and get through Starfield, Mister Maug. By all means, if Phantom Liberty or Nobody Saves the World is what's calling you, enjoy. There is no you, you, come on, man. Be fair to yourself. You only have so much free time. You only have so much. So much you time. You only got so much Maug time. You got to spend it where it makes the most sense. So Nobody Saves the World is a phenomenal game. I think I think if you're not going to play Starfield, if you're going to play any game over Starfield, Nobody Saves the World is a pretty good one. You could do a lot worse. So playing a great game, and I'm sure Phantom Liberty is great as well. I don't know. I, I don't really buy the whole, like, just, just play the first 10 hours. Play the first 20 hours. It gets good later. Like, I like Starfield after hour one. Like, hour one, I was like, eh. And then by hour two or three, I was just like, yeah, this game's great. And my love for it only grew and grew and grew. I didn't have a weird, like, get past 10 hours with the game kind of thing. But I can tell you this much. If I made it through 10 hours of Starfield and wasn't feeling it at all, I would have put that thing up. I don't give a shit. Come on, man. Your time is precious. Your life is limited. D do 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 what, you, do what feels good in the moment. Be a heathen. You know, if, if you want to do the thing just to say you did it, if you're just trying to get to an objective and get through it, and, and check things off the list and everything you can you can go to your day job and do those things but if you're trying to have fun if you're trying to be entertained if you're trying to enjoy yourself play a game that's calling to you so don't feel bad about it don't feel obligated to do anything else if nobody saves the world or cyberpunk is calling to you then sit down play those games and enjoy yourself mr maug amen god bless just make sure uh 
Just make sure you you drive yourself insane thinking about how nobody saves the world as a digital only game. It's not physical. Fuck you. Ha ha ha. Fuck you. There's no manual transmission. Nobody saves the world. I'm kidding. I'm messing with you. I love you, Mr. Mag. Let's move on. All right. Mike Clark writes in and says, AAA gaming is not sustainable at this point. Sad to hear about more and more layoffs. Is it me or does this affect Western developer studios the most? The biggest news from the the week last uh, the leaks last week was the mention of next gen hardware being ARM sixty four based. Probably nothing, but why wouldn't it be awesome if the next Xbox was a hybrid? What would that mean for the back compat games? How powerful will ARM CPU be in five years? Another thing from that leak that validates my thinking is Phil Spencer's a chubby Don Matrick wearing t shirt wearing a t shirt and smiling. He has saved the Xbox brand with Game Pass, but everything Don was hated for, Phil doubles down on. I'd like you'd be more specific about that because I don't, I don't know what you mean, like connect uh, TV and connect. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, Xbox says you will own nothing and be happy with it. Long live Nintendo and games on cartridge. Uh, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, agree. Disagree. Second Genesis Dreamcast and GameCube are peak console designs, by the way. Everything should have uh, carry handle. Honorable mention goes to the Xbox One X and the Series X. That is a good one. I forgot about that. Uh, the GameCube is an amazing console. Shout out to the GameCube. GameCube probably also has at least top three best controllers ever made. Like GameCube is a an immaculate console in its design. The, everything from the small discs to the controller to the little, little cube box with the handle. I love the GameCube. Shout out to the GameCube. Uh, you said the new controller on Xbox looks awesome. Hope we see it soon. 100 million Game Pass subscribers. Maybe if they buy Valve and Nintendo, no chance with every Xbox game being FPS in design. Yeah, I agree. That's that. There's no way they're going to hit that goal. Those internal leaks saying that they were trying to hit 100 million Game Pass subscribers by what? What was that supposed to be? 2030? No, no way. Is there enough money on the planet to purchase Nintendo? No, they're not for sale. They actually have dignity unlike American corporations. Uh, Way Forward is awesome, and I will not hear anything else. Welcome back, uh, Contra. Y- yes, indeed. And thank you again for a few hours of fun. This old man appreciates it. Well, we appreciate you, Mr. Mike Clark, and uh, thank you as always for writing in. Yeah, I don't know enough about like ARM, ARM a- architecture to really speak to this. Um, I-, I know just a little bit of layman's stuff just because of like, like ARM processors being like the thing that powers smart devices and the the recent move in personal computers to try and build more arm uh, powered pcs kind of like the new m1 m2 M mac chips um are kind of like arm based architecture and then of course um a lot of like uh qualcomm chips are starting to be used in like uh some some personal computers and things like that replacing some intel chips and i know People like them because they're quiet, they're fast, efficient, they're fanless, they power on fast, they're energy efficient um, and battery efficient, all these things. So I, I understand the appeal and the the draw to them, but I mean, they're just, they're just not as bulky and powerful and built out of the way, traditionally at least, the way like in, uh, Intel chips and things like that are. So I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if we should expect to see AMD and Intel like go away with the next consoles, but... I would be curious to see what it means to go away from those and go with ARM um, 64-based architecture and what it would mean to uh, kind of include those chipsets in, like, a hybrid machine. I, I don't. We're too far off to even think about that because, honestly, all, all I'm thinking about is <laughs> when the fuck is Perfect Dark coming to Xbox? That's all, that's all I want to know. What's up with Perfect Dark? Where's Fable? What are we doing here? Remember State of Decay 3? I know I do. I actually been ha- like having a an itch to go back and play State of Decay two again. I it's, it's a game like I, I always go back to. I play a couple hours. I'm like this is good, but it's not for me. And then I I, I drop it. But I'm having that itch again. I want to go back. 
Uh, Sam Frito, no, Sam Frito, we're going to save you for last. Best for last. Cronky writes in with our penultimate comment and says a few takeaways from the leaks. One, buying Nintendo or Valve after a difficulty of getting through Activision would never get past regulators, although I actually agree those cases with the regulators. Monopolies are very bad for either of those. Uh, would Either of those would be giving Microsoft a monopoly in a different part of the industry. Yes, I think everyone can agree Microsoft buying Nintendo is an objectively horrible thing for everyone involved. That's terrible. Number two, Fallout 3 remaster would be amazing. I thought the Oblivion remaster, Oblivion remaster leaked a few months ago. I think you did cover it too. We did, but this is more confirmation. Number three, Dishonored 3, but no Quake. Number four, that controller is hideous. Number five, the console without a disc drive sucks. I watch movies, including movies that aren't available to stream. I don't want another box in my living room uh, just to watch them grumble, grumble. Uh, I, yeah, I guess I didn't think about DVDs and Blu-ray because I'm not an ancient 65-year-old uh, man from the, the, the mid... The, the mid what, what, people who are 65, when were they born? 2004? I don't know. Uh, you know, so I, I don't know. I don't know about the fabled DVD player, okay? I watch my movies at a solid 920p stream stream buffering over netflix spectrum wi-fi listen i i do it the normal way okay i'm a normal guy uh number five the consoles with the disk drive suck no we just talked about that uh oh yeah crap correction last week i said gearbox was the biggest and best studio embracer has and they may be the biggest but 4a is by is their best by 80 miles sure i'm not going to disagree with that i like 4a games way more than uh embrace uh, than gearbox so yeah no 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 controversy with that take yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I don't know what to say about any of this. I don't think Dishonored 3 is happening, by the way. I think a lot of that, specifically with that that timeline of all those Bethesda games with, like, the new Doom game, the new Dishonored game, I don't think that's happening. Um, Ghostwire Tokyo 2, I don't know. It's not happening. So, I wouldn't get your hopes up is all I'm saying. Um, I think a lot of that's dated. Uh, the pandemic affected a lot of those things, and we're not going to see all those games come to fruition. Our final and last and, and and only comment left to talk about for the week is coming from none other than Sam Frito, the greatest, the best, and for always our favorite, which is why I left him at the bottom. And uh, he says, I haven't seen leaks like this, but I'm sick to my... Sorry. I haven't seen leaks like this, but I'm a stick to my lane guy when I visit public restrooms. <laughs> Shame we didn't get any news on Xbox handheld offering, but I would... Uh, but would I buy it? Maybe not. I don't play my Switch nearly as much as I want to. Uh, by the way, Halo 5's campaign is my favorite so far, but I only de uh, delved into most of the other games for a few missions. FPS used to be... FPS used to give me severe motion sickness. Far Cry 5 was the first one that didn't, um, I didn't suffer f with it since, since then I'm all over the place. Oh, Far Cry 5 was the first one I didn't suffer with, and since then I'm all over the place. The social instance you mentioned uh, about Baldur's Gate guy comparing Starfield is so awkward. Someone at the bar should have told him to go fuck an owl bear. Starfield is a great game and so interesting. What else could we ask for? Jaded baby snot gamers. I ain't messing with Andresia because I know you got a thing for her, but she does have my back. You sure she's really into you? It's cool. Vasco is always happy. I didn't die in my sleeve. I think the robot likes me. Great show. I promise not to complain. If Brits can be happy with what they got, we fucking got it made. Yeah, not sure what that means. I you, you, you can complain all you want. I don't care. But, uh, but yeah, I appreciate you being respectful and staying away from my girl. Um, she is she she did tell me she loves me, so I, I need you guys all to respect our relationship and to fuck off and maybe go romance Barrett or Sarah Morgan or one of those freaks. Um, but yeah, that's great. So a couple of things because um, you're just kind of addressing a bunch of things we talked about last week. Um, 
as always, nice humorous opening. Appreciate appreciate the humor. Uh, yeah, the Xbox handheld. I, I fear that I'm the same way where it's like I would beg for an Xbox handheld. I would buy an Xbox handheld, and then I wouldn't really get my money's worth by using it a whole lot. But I don't care. It's like there every now and then there's those purchases where it's like, I know this isn't financially savvy. I know I'm not going to get my money's worth. I know I don't need this, but fuck it, I want it. And Xbox handheld is is one of those items that fits firmly in that camp of like, I don't care what a value, good or bad value proposition is, what I'm going to get out of it. I want it, and that's all there is to it. I will buy it if they make it, and I want it. That's all I got to say. But maybe you just have more financial wisdom, and you're not going to blow your money like that. It's probably how you can uh, – probably how you can justify um, – the the lavish life of traveling the world and eating uh, at every major Japanese izakaya across the globe, including uh, including ones in Eastern Europe. So that's great, good for you. Um, but the main thing I want to draw attention to here is what you said about Halo Five. You said so we we know you're playing through the Halo games. Um, you're on Halo Five right now, and you're loving the campaign. Isn't that something? Halo 5 campaign is my favorite so far. I've only delved into most of the other games for a few missions. Wow, but Halo 5's campaign is your favorite so far. It's almost like Halo 5 has a really fun campaign with a lot of varied locations, really great level design, and awesome gunplay. It's almost as if if you stop listening to all the Reddit commenters bitching and moaning about the Lock vs. Chief fight and you just enjoy the game for what it is and enjoy the gameplay itself and the level design and the awesome planets that you get to visit and all the, everything they built out there. That's a really, really fun Halo game because it is. So I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm happy for you, Sam. Hope you're having a great time. Hope you hope you see Halo 5 through the end um, and then your heart can also be crushed by realizing how fucking cool that game ends and how, the, the setup that they build for the next Halo game and how exciting it is and how, how much we were all looking forward to what it came next and then Halo Infinite comes and just fucks it all up and then uh, all right that's gonna do it for our podcast this week i'm gonna go cry in the shower and that is all i gotta say for this week you guys thank you as always for listening sam everyone mr maug temple knight cronky everyone who wrote in thank you all so much mike clark redo vandal john stamos the guy at the deli counter that that never gets my meat sliced exactly the, the thickness i'm asking for all of you have a great week thank you all for listening being here supporting as always be sure to leave great reviews. We got some good reviews on on. Oh yeah, I want to I want to end with this. Spotify. We got like a four point five star rating. I've noticed a lot of other podcasts have like a four point eight star rating. Guys, what what is this? What is this? Come on now. I am am I not entitled to your good feedback, whether I've earned it or not? Please go ahead and leave a five star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever whatever podcast service you use. Uh, it helps a lot. I'm just trying to help get this the show out there so more people can discover and enjoy it or 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 be in, um, in, in pain. I don't know. Um, what, what's the thing to say? I don't know. Whatever this podcast does to you, more people can have that experience. So I appreciate your feedback. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you guys just listening. Whether you do or don't, leave a review or comment or any of that. Just knowing that you guys support the show, listen to it, and get whatever level of enjoyment you get out of it is uh, more than enough for me, and I just greatly appreciate you guys. So thank you all so much. Have a wonderful week. Eat delicious food. Be well. Be safe. Take care of those you love. Take care of yourself. Make sure you go to the doctor for checkups. Make sure you don't uh, let that pimple on your butt cheek uh, stay there for too long because God knows it could be something dangerous. And until next week, uh, fo follow your nose and power your dreams.